James Bond, I'm a spy and I'm working for the Brits. I've got cars and guns and gadgets. I've got ladies with big brains. I've got licenses to kill. I've got licenses to fish. I've got sexy suits and air miles. But here's my biggest wish. I'd like a quantum of solace, but no more than a quantum. I know they do big bags of solace, but I don't want them. I only want a teeny tiny slice of solace before I shoot you. Hello and welcome to another episode of James Bond and Friends. This week, James Bond has been testing his download speed so he can watch new movies at home. Um, <laughs> we're going to do this uh, watch-along thing again. Um, and the results were 32% of people voted for David's Choice, Quantum of Solace this week. Yay. So it's going to be a quick quick one for everybody. Um, David, because you won, you also get to do the line roll. That's the new thing we're doing now. So brace <laughs> yourself for that. All right. So it's the usual crew. Um, so would you like to introduce yourselves? Ben, Bill, David, Dr. Lisa, and Calvin. Hi, I'm Ben Williams. Uh, I write for MI6 Confidential Magazine and MI6HQ.com. Hi, I'm Bill Koenig. I run a blog called The Spy Command. David Lee here. Um, I run the jamesfondossier.com. Dr. Lisa Funnel. I'm an associate professor at the University of Oklahoma. I'm the author of The Geographies, Genders, and Geopolitics of James Bond with Klaus Dodds and the editor of For His Eyes Only, The Women of James Bond. It's always the worst to follow Lisa in these introductions. It's like <laughs> this great so list of qualifications <laughs> and things, and it's like, oh, I'm Calvin. I run a YouTube channel. <laughs> Professor <laughs> Calvin <laughs> Dyson. <Yeah. laughs> uh, don't minimize honoring. your work, Calvin. Your, your work is awesome. Yeah, man. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and your your work got a rise out of a published author who couldn't believe that you got twenty five thousand hits on one of your videos, and he was grousing about it on Facebook. I will say no more oh really oh. excellent oh talk about that... that when we're not recording so. oh great oh yeah I'll, I'll hold you to that in two hours when i'm drunk and angry i have a feeling i know who you're talking about bill um yeah yeah so. that's why i didn't want to say anymore yeah <laughs> i have a feeling i know as well <laughs> anyway right. well let's let's change the tune shall yes. we and um Go. All right, so if everybody's got Quantum Solace lined up, we are yep. going to do the three to one countdown. So we've got the line just about to fade in. And so we will start play. Get ready, David, for your moment of glory in three, two, one, play. Rah! Rah! <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Rah! <laughs> So I found something interesting about the Columbia lady last night because I was scouring YouTube for random things. The Deborah Columbia Kirk. lady used to um, – no, she's actually a composite now. But she oh. used to wear um, she used to wear a U.S. flag as a dress. Right, because oh. she's, su- then, she's supposed to be the female equivalent of Uncle Sam. Yeah, and then in 1940, they made the law that say you can't wear the flag as a garment, so they had to change it to a drape. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, but I've oh. seen I've seen three Stooges shorts where the Columbia lady has Here a we go. flag for that flag. Ah, and we're going, we're going. I, I love the start of this. Can you remember sitting in the I think I, I was sitting next to you in the premiere for this, weren't we, David? And I no, remember I didn't that, go the, to the premiere. The, I, for Quantum? No, I didn't go to the – no. Oh. Um, uh, I was going to go, but it was it was very short notice, so I ended up not going. Oh, So, sorry. no, it, it wasn't me. Sorry, misremembering. 
this is uh, this is a second unit uh, the second unit director from uh, all the born movies um dan bradley and- Dan Bradley, and it shows. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. But the, watching the, it, watching it quietly is interesting. You kind of can pick up a little bit more of what's happening. Um, it's but what's that thing that comes out of the side of the truck? Please tell me. It's it's, it's the it's, <laughs> it's a metal the, thing to spear a car with. <laughs> it's it's, um, it's the it's the front bumper. Oh, we call them the bumper. I don't know what you call them in the the US or other, yeah, the other fender. But if you watch the it if you, in the fender, but if you watch it in slow motion, it's obviously been rigged to pop out on an air cannon or something. Yeah. That's hmm. David's point. Um, we had. I, I, also, I knew I knew one of the um, the, the people who were doing uh, that was was working on the production uh, for for this location, um, and they were there for months uh, shooting this uh, thirty seconds. Oh yeah, it's one of the reasons the movie costs so much. Yeah, they spent yeah. a ton on this one sequence. Also, those cars look black, and these cops describe them as gray. Like, gee, they're not very smart <laughs> cops. I guess. <laughs> There's also a scene they shot of the cops like getting out of a house, coming down the stairs, making yeah. their way to their car, and it's like, yeah, that got cut. So there's, a, there's a lot of stuff that got cut out of this, um, and um, I, I, I was and here. We have a very Doctor No esque kind of um, moment. This is a, a tribute, I think, to the the Doctor No car car chase through this quarry. Um, but yeah, with this, there was the two accidents, wasn't there? The, the yes, the the. the um, Aston Martin uh, employee who who kind of uh, wiped out one of the the AMs and then uh, one of the stump crew who dropped it into the lake and uh, thus the the curse of Bond apparently yes there was also a pretty bad accident that caused somebody to actually uh, be hospitalised I think allegedly and reportedly had to sue the production company mm. yeah the uh, Bill, uh, when we were watching Moonraker, I think it was you. You were saying that it um, it, it it's unpretentious, and uh, you can't say that about this Quantum of Solace at all. This is very it, pretentious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 no, but, but the the way the the way this whole sequence uh, starts with the Aston Martin, it, it's virtually silent, and you just see the pedals and his feet moving, and. Uh, I, I, I love I love that bit. I don't so much love the bit afterwards, but I just love that. I just think it feels it feels very much like a car advert, unfortunately. So that's my. Mm. Um, so when we get and first into, of the title cards with the fancy yeah, fonts, yeah, mm. the, I, I I quite liked those um, those fancy fonts over the um, the title. MK12 were responsible for doing the titling and and yeah. um, the. Um, uh, the computer pro- the computer readouts and all of this and, and obviously the um, the opening sequence. It's the trunk well, monkey. I've uh, <laughs> worked with. Um, well, here we are in the intro. Uh, intro, yes, and uh, I was uh, I watched this yesterday, prep for this podcast, and uh, my wife asked me as the titles were playing. Said, "So, what do you think about this?" I said, "I hate it." <laughs> <laughs> and then she said, "Well, I was going to say it's sufficient." And I said, nah, I wouldn't go that far. I really, I, I will, I will step in and say I love MK12's work. Um, I think they're a fantastic uh, design agency. Um, a completely um, new font that they've designed for this, um, this, this film, um, and they had to actually go back and reshoot a lot of this sequence. Uh, one because of the the change in. in I, I do like how they. 
I do like how they simulate the dots of the gun barrel, which of course we haven't seen uh, up till this point. Um, <laughs> it's coming up, I think, with Judy Wright's title card. Uh, but the, my problem see. with this here it yeah, is there it uh, is my, the red yeah. dot going across the screen. My problem with this is it doesn't go anywhere. Mm. It's just the same. I mean, you could literally randomize the order of these shots, and yeah. you wouldn't notice. Yeah. That's true. Um, yeah. Well, they 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 did have to actually re recut it and re redo it for the the song, um, and also because they changed it from oil to sand. At yes. One point. So oh, it, yeah. it was originally oil, um, hmm. and, and so this all got done very quickly. And I think considering that it's recut and done done fast. Um, I think it's I think it's a pretty interesting uh, title sequence. Uh, and I like the lines. You may be the lines simulating the world behind it, like the la la mm. longitude or latitude. I actually really I like whatever this is supposed to be. I actually like the design. It MK12. doesn't tell me the story, but I like it visually. They mm. also they also did the the computer interfaces uh, for the film, and you'll see later yeah. on that they're, they're all kind of. Um, there's, there's a kind of a language what? to them. Blues represents diff, like blue and red, different different kinds of information. It's it's quite a, it's quite a clever thing that they did. So I think but, that but, there's a, but a one thing though about these titles. Um, so with Casino Royale, they had made a big deal about we're not doing nude women anymore. Right. We're doing much more sophisticated, and it's like MK12 jumps in. It's like well, to be fair, they made out of sand now though. So yeah. well, they did have a, they also had a brief as well, which was I think it was uh, helmet. Um, Helmut Lang. I, I'm trying to think of the, the photographer that um, did kind of like the the silhouettes in water, and they they kind of were were given a brief to kind of uh, emulate that. Um, sort of the the dunes were supposed to be, um, which which in turn was very similar to the oil women from uh, the world is not enough. Yeah, mm -hmm. which is one of the reasons why I think that they ultimately had to change it. Um, but also um, talking quickly about the music. Um, the um we obviously you know uh, whether you like this this title track or not um this nope. this credit sequence goes very nicely <laughs> no i think but it goes the title sequence works really well with the shirley bassey uh um, yes song. excellently so, mm -hmm. and this that the, the, those um Establishing shots of Siena were shot months before the film started. Yeah, I think in the in the August it take it, it took place in August before they 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 got down to doing it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Daniel Craig I'll attended, didn't he? Yes, he did. The first time that I watched this, I was really confused because most Bond films are episodic in nature, meaning you start sort of a new journey each film. And, and Quantum of Solace is really sort of the first true sequel that we have. And the action truly picks up where the last one left off. And I found mm -hmm. myself just, I didn't expect it. I mean, I expected it, but I didn't expect it to be that um, engrossed and in-depth in, into action. And so I know the first time I watched it, I had to catch up with, you know, who, who are these people? What is going on? What's the situation? Mm -hmm. Especially if you don't watch the film uh, Casino Royale right before you watch this one. So I mean, I found except, except what year does this take place? Well, yeah, I mean, narratively, it <laughs> takes place straight afterwards, but in the timeline, it doesn't. But two point, Lisa, this came out like two years. It was supposed to be eighteen months after Casino, and it ended up being two years. So it's still right. Casino is still relatively fresh, especially when most of the U.S. audiences got Casino on home release because it would, you know, it did better on home release than the theaters in the states. But 
No Time to Die is going to pick up off the back of Spectre, and we've had a, like a five-year gap, so God help the regular audiences. Right. Yeah. Well, um, just, just to fill in the background on that, so as the filming of Casino was wrapping up, Sony put out a press release saying the next movie will be out on May 2nd, 2008, which would have been like 18 <laughs> months. And I remember reading that thinking, whoa, that's pretty ambitious. Um, yeah. And then, and then it ended up getting pushed back to November. Well, November in the States might have been in October in the UK, but, um, you know, I mean, I, the, the thing is by, you know what, it made a lot of sense to push it back to, to the fall. I, I, I could not quarrel with that, but it had the unintentional consequence of giving Marvel the their first movie iron man mm-hmm. grabbed that date that may 2nd date and they ran with it mm. uh ever since and and like you know like if they had tried if no time or if this movie had tried to do the may 2008 date it probably would have been even more troublesome than it turned out to right. be as it was so mm. I'm, I'm not criticizing them for that but it's kind of like the law of unintended consequences but mm. just a, i, I just remember that on um go ahead david yeah i, I was just going to say i remember that it came out ooh, i wasn't going to say this but it, it's a bit of a confusing sequence that and it doesn't doesn't work that well um it, it came out about yeah, five, you have to freeze free you have to and the uh, thing is like my dvd player wasn't good enough to even freeze framing I can't see that, <laughs> that bullet that get deflected from Judy Dench I oh, thought, you really need to go dead. through it frame by frame even when she's like running up the stairs like you just kind of see a figure like yeah. what is that it's like an editing um, thing is it the a contrast of continuum of movement which is an editing style where um your sort of uh focus is going all over the place from shot to shot and no two shots are the same so it's hard to kind of gauge a geography right. of where people are moving and yeah. that's just this film all over it can work that kind of um haphazard editing style but here it's just it's super confusing and um yeah. choppy well, yeah. yesterday when I was watching this w- with my wife, um, I was explaining, I didn't use those terms exactly, but I said, people who love this film talk about how you're really, you're seeing what Bond's seeing. And, and it's like, if you were in the middle of the action like that, you'd be confused. And then she said, no, if you're being shot at, you know what's happening. As, whereupon, <laughs> if you're an audience member, you're just seeing a bunch of jumbled images. Yeah. Mm. No, I, um, I think there's something to be said for that. Yeah, to, yeah. to the audience, I, I am I am a big fan of this film, but I, I I'm not a fan of the of the action sequences. It it um, it and I, I wasn't immediately a fan of it. It took some getting to. But um, what what I was going to say earlier was that it. Well, it it came out in Spain about five weeks after the UK, and which was a, a nightmare to actually avoid all the spoilers and so on. And um, before I'd seen it, uh, a friend of ours uh, had a baby, and we went to went to visit the baby in the hospital. And the first thing the father said to me was, "What's the new Bond film like?" And I, was, <laughs> I couldn't tell what? him. <laughs> For our audience, we're watching this chase scene, and um, at one point. 
uh, Craig jumps onto a truck and he really does jump onto it because, yes. but I could, can't tell by watching the movie. I, I can tell by like watching one of the making of featurettes. That's on that the it's him. <laughs> yeah. I know this is, this is the geography. As Calvin says here, the geography is very, um, there it, it is that it, bus. Yeah. Yeah. You, mm. the thing is, you're not ensure, even sure which direction he's going in. Um, mm. like you, you, one of the great things about um, a good piece of editing is you should feel like you understand the geography of where your yep. characters are. Mm-hmm. Um, and the geography and of all- this is like a maze. Oh, and also, yeah. if you're going to take the trouble of having your leading man do a stunt, at uh-huh. least make sure the audience can tell it's him. Where yeah. upon yeah. the way it's edited, you're not entirely sure. That's the Sorry. Years later, uh, I, I saw um, Christopher Robin, the Mark Foster-directed uh, live-action Winnie the Pooh film, which had one of these editors. There's a tea party scene between Winnie the Pooh and a bunch of his stuffed show. animal friends, edited in a similarly incomprehensible way. And I'm like, how do you like edit a confusing tea party between stuffed animals? It's ridiculous, <laughs> but this editor managed it. Um, I think there's something to be said about... This is sort of playing off, at least in my opinion, what the Bourne franchise was doing. But when I watch this, not only am I not sure where things are taking place, it's happening so quickly that I get a bit nauseous. I find Mm, this very visually jarring. And I think, you know, a point that was made, if you're going to have anybody perform their own stunts, the cinematography has to support them to show uh, we call it corporeal authenticity. It's a way of guaranteeing the real. And so we find out that actors are doing it. Um, and so we believe and we buy into the action that we see. And I really feel as though Daniel Craig, in many ways, is being let down by the editing of this yep. scene and all the labor that he's put into. I shouldn't have to watch a special uh feature to know that he's doing it. I actually can't tell that he's doing most of it because the scenes are just way too quick. And you shouldn't mm. have to like go frame by frame on your, your home video player. Right? It's like, so if, if that one little pole actually deflected the bullet from Judy Dench, you ought to be able to tell that in the theater. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell it. And on my DVD player, I couldn't tell it. It, it took Can a I long say, time. Somebody had is, to explain that to me. Sorry, This is the first time I'm hearing it. Literally. Like I, I never understood how it, how it worked. Like to this deck, to this to this viewing, this is the first time I go. Oh, that's how that happened. Somebody like, <laughs> tweeted at me, and they like they had a screen capture that had it, yeah. which must have been like two frames. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> like, like I, for forever, I thought it was like they've shot her, but then she's not shot. How did that happen? And that's a mm-hmm. shout out to the dedicated James Bond fans. He yeah. would yeah. go <laughs> shot by shot in order to screenshot this. So. Shout out to the James Bond fan community for that. To, to your point, Lisa, I think if you worked on the stunt team or the second unit and then you're at the premiere and you're watching this, you must have been a little bit disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> like what they this, did to all your hard work. You know? Well, yeah. that's, what, that's what I was I was saying before, sorry, about the, 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 the unit in um, in Italy. I had a friend who worked there, was on it for two months and just went, that was it? That was literally mm-hmm. it? Um, mm. So, yeah, I think it's... I love just uh, just also. I just want to point out that how beautiful this apartment is. I want to live in it. <laughs> this movie supposedly cost had a production budget of as much as two hundred and thirty million dollars. Good yep. lord! And, and probably a big chunk of it was that pre-titles with all those car crashes in the in Italy or wherever they really filmed it. A word yeah, to the guy did film it in Italy. Yeah. yeah. A word to the dialogue as well. He says the agent you shot 
was already dead when you pass them on the stairs or something like that. That line is so clunky. Right. Um, and and it, it's the sort of thing where you go, yeah, that's why you don't have a writer's strike and then continue to, to write dialogue. Um, Meanwhile, it, of course, this takes place literally two hours after Casino Royale in the words of Michael G. Wilson and Emma's had her office deal. Uh, yeah. the, the entire, whole, office. A, the <laughs> entire whole, the whole, floor. Yeah, the whole place. The whole the whole of MI6 is now changed. Um a, a note to the That's really a fast note. work. Yeah, uh, I always I always thought, thought this was a completely different uh building. It is. Hmm. It is yeah. a different building. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. It's it's now in the Barbican for some reason when we've yeah. established <laughs> two, uh, two two hours prior prior that it's actually in, in um uh, Millbank. Uh, the two, the two yeah, locations it's, it's are just, very it's different. It's just their, uh, it's their, their second office, branch right. office and, or whatever. Of course, in real life, in real life, of course, they changed production designers. Casino Royale was the last one for Peter Lamont, and yeah. now we have Dennis Gastner, and so things change. That's fine. But can I just say I, we're, we're we're on our third location in seventeen minutes? Yeah. Good lord! Yeah, it feels oh, like oh, it as well. This is this is also the last Bond movie where Ford Motor Company was involved. So uh, we haven't seen a Ford product yet, but we will at the end toward the end of the yeah. sequence. But uh, it, I, I covered Ford for Bloomberg in two thousand eight. On every earnings call, the CEO and his prepared remarks kept mentioning Quantum of Solace, like, and it's you know it's the stilted text he's reading off of you could tell he's reading off of it and it's like yes we get it this is like the third earnings call in a row you mentioned it please um anyway just does a, anybody just a know if if uh daniel craig i mentioned it before um if his hair is dyed darker because he does look again i get that this is supposed to be him still mourning vesper lynn but he does look overall different he looks like his hair shades a little bit different just like his use of the beard in uh skyfall is supposed to age him right and then he's rejuvenated hair matters whether it's on your head on your face anybody know it does it i think it is a little darker um i mean it certainly looks a little darker i think one of the things that they were trying to do with his entire look for this film was to kind of make him a little steve mcqueen um yes you know the, yes. Ha the haircut is very mcqueen but his costume here as well his outfit here as well yeah. is very very redolent of, uh, of mcqueen's uh, style uh this fight is also kind of uh very confusing because if you don't see that pickup shot of him picking up the but, the nail scissors yeah. it's very quick yeah. well here's the problem um, here's the problem i have with it ben is in the opening sequence Bond's in a black car, dark car, chased by dark cars, right? Here, you have a fight sequence of Bond's basically fighting his stunt double, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, right? You know. Yeah. This guy... Well, uh... I was about to say, also, we're about 20 minutes into it now, and I saw this, first time I saw it was actually a free showing where Ford invited people who covered the company to you know, see it a couple days before it came out, and around this point, I didn't consider it seriously. Bill, here's your cameo. Walking out. Here's your cameo. Uh, yeah. Oh, Michael G. Wilson. There he is. You know what? This is like, this is how Michael G. Wilson cameos should be done. Doesn't say anything. If you spot him, you spot him. If you I've don't. never I like, seen I like, that before. <laughs> can, I, can I just point out the all white people look the same uh, joke, uh, which I think ah, is here's quite, Ford. quite amusing. <laughs> here's the Ford with the little 
whatever that was called. I do, um, I do like on the soundtrack how they the foley for the cars is like wee. <laughs> <Give us away. laughs> um, I was discussing this uh, this earlier with my fiance, um, and, and a point that, that Lisa brought up in a previous podcast. Um, this uh, Olga Kurilenko is is a very pale actress. Um, yes. Well, and, well, and and keep that in mind when we get to the plane sequence later. But go yeah, ahead. Uh, this is this is very much um, a, body a makeup. Bit, a, a bit <laughs> this is white, brown face. Of, this is brown yeah. face and straight up brown is, face. Except they forgot to apply it later in, in the in, movie. In in two thousand and eight, and it's something that really shouldn't be occurring. Even her costuming uh, is is to emphasize the darkness of her skin. So the the orange camisole, yeah. the gold, the necklace, it kind of pushes that darker coloration. Um, hmm. It's so something could- that really shouldn't have been done no so she was one of 400 people uh, who they looked at for this film 400 later and um i'm sorry she she got the role on christmas day that's my trivia for and there's nobody else again if you're going to cast somebody who's an agent of bolivia you're telling me that there is nobody no other actor from south america who could have fulfilled this role and i think that that just speaks to I eventually want to write a paper about Bond going to the global South, but he brings with him typically white women and, and, and white actors um, who then go with him. And what is the significance of a British agent, you know, with his sort of his white counterpart coming through and operating in these spaces. And one thing to, I'll bring it up later in this is that when locals are represented and subtitles are, are, there's a potential for subtitles, we don't actually get it. And so the, the men and the women, as they're standing by the wells, discussing and describing the water crisis, we don't right. get their perspective. We don't hear no. from them. And so even the mm. locals are silenced and who gets preferential treatment, it's sort of the white actors. And this is typical sort of Hollywood, um, Hollywood sort of basic casting line. And I know this is sort of a co-production and stuff like that, but it's that notion of like role stratification, role segregation. It really still is going on, only it's happening more in subtle ways because it's brown face. Whereas if, if this was blackface, I think there might be um, a lot more attention to it because we've talked a little bit more about that as a racist uh, uh, representational practice. It- it's not as obvious as, say, oh, Mickey Rooney playing a Japanese in Breakfast mm. at Tiffany's with his right. buck teeth uh, uh-huh. applied, but it trends along the same line. Yeah. This scene to me has never made any sense. What the hell is he doing? He's just fucking He's, around with some stamps yeah, and pieces of paper. It's like the, the, production, the, the production design must have been like, oh shit, um, we've got to do this dialogue scene. How, where should we put it? Uh, cinema at this table. Uh, it just. Yeah, it, he's, he's just insane, kind of like weird habit that he's it, it serves no it's just there's no character his, they could they could have well, used this as a way of developing his character but they don't yeah and mm-hmm. we also meet we also meet the most ineffectual bond villain henchman elvis with oh. his uh toupee and uh, now someone was i i made that observation on twitter yesterday and someone said he's not a henchman and i said yes <laughs> Yes, he is. He's he's an ineffectual henchman. He said he, he said he, the person who twi- uh, tweeted at me said he's like Scarpine or whatever the guy's name was in a view to a kill. He's like that guy was a henchman. Hell, he's like mowing guys <laughs> down guys with a machine gun. That makes you a henchman. Um, is it the guy with the Scar- bowl cut? 
Is that who we're talking about? Yeah. Yes. Okay, so, not, not the bowl cut, the bowl toupee. Yeah, later on, it's, an, it's another sort of victim of the horrific editing in this film, but later on there is a shot of his toupee falling off, but it's yes. it's such a poorly it's, done shot. It's, and it's very unrecognizable. And his trousers get whipped off as well, which is quite funny. If you slow, the, if you slow yes. down, the, his trousers come away in that explosion shot. Is this um, the scene what? where we get the most amazing extra, the guy in the background oh, who's right, supposed to be sweeping? <laughs> Yes, the, the sweet, the sweet, sweepy brush guy is coming the up. In a oh my gosh, that's my favorite in. part. Yeah. <laughs> One job, sweep, and it's like a foot off the ground. No. Okay, Who sweeps like at, that? Again, speaking of Camille, now she is quite brown there in skin tone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Keep, keep that in mind when we get to the plane sequence later. Hmm. To be so honest, she's wearing... I, I only noticed this yesterday. Like she looks suddenly Caucasian in that plane sequence. Hmm. So it's like Bond going, like losing his Japanese makeup as he climbs up the volcano. Yes. <laughs> that's she also, that's she, such a brilliant point because, in a yeah. sense, it is actually taking away, you know, the character's racial and ethnic heritage. Like, uh, this is a very significant point. My brain's sort of like going off, so I'll keep it in there. But this is a brilliant point that you're making, a great observation. Well, well this and also, notice on her back, there's, there's these yeah, scars that the burns makeup. So this yeah. is show she's. They, they fade out too later in the yeah. movie. The other mm-hmm. thing is because they cast her so late and, you know, they, they, they we'll do a piece on the website, but the, they went all over the place looking for the actress for this role, all kinds of ethnicities. It didn't really matter. So there's this clunky line they have to throw in here after we get Sweeper yeah. Brush guy coming up. Beautiful where it's like, ballet oh, dancer. His, his mother was, her mother was a Russian dancer. That explains the accent. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> come on. That also explains why. There he is. Sweeping guy. Sweeping guy. Love it. Um, but this is I actually love- quite a clever little trick here that yeah, they put in. I, I think it's a yeah. great conceit, isn't it, James? It's uh, the way the way that the, you phone that you phone that number and it mm. logs, you know, it tracks that phone. I think it's a really clever de- like uh, li- like uh, device, if you like. Well, okay. Here, here's another thing. Um, even in the flip phone days, when this movie was filmed, a cell phone acts as a GPS device. The whole point of Vesper give, uh, giving Bond Mr. White's phone number was so he right. could quickly track him down. Right. And then I, I point this out, well, it may have taken Bond two years to track him down. I said, if it took Bond two years to track down Mr. White, then he's an idiot. And then like, and if Mr. White <laughs> held on to, and if Mr. White held on to that flip phone for two years, then he's an idiot. Because yeah. even <laughs> even street gangs are smart enough to have burner phones, disposable cell phones. So, like, no, it did not take two years for Bond to track him down. It's and and I point this out. And people get defensive because they want to defend the movie, and that's fine. You like the movie, fine. But like, you know, there was a very popular '60s movie, which I won't say it, what it is, where the sun is setting in the east at the end of the movie. The lead character is walking off with a kid he's apparently going to adopt, and the sun's setting. But given where the movie. Given that the movie takes place in Vietnam, the sun can only, if the sun's setting on the ocean, it can only set in the east. So it's like, you know, point that out. Oh, that's not really the case. Yes, it is. It's. (laughs) Can I make a sidebar comment to that? I know that we were talking about Camille Montez and the scars on her back. It's interesting that the costuming here for General Madrano actually has like all the detailing and decoration on his back as well possibly creating a link between mm. her scars and him being, you know, the person who has committed that scar to him 
And so mm. costuming is it's not it's not accidental. These are choices that are made. And this is the first time that I'm really sort of seeing the connection between what he's wearing and of course how she's being represented. Oh, that's a really just good point. I've never noticed that. Just a quick word to that, um, Lisa, is that um as I said before, she's wearing orange and gold to kind of highlight the the darker skin tones. It was I think the actual uh, two thousand and eight Balenciaga autumn winter collection. Um but they chose it specifically, uh, even though it was a kind of a tie-in to that uh, particular fashion house. It, it was chosen because it it popped uh, her skin color more. And also, the also with, the necklace she's wearing, that gold necklace yeah. as well. So the so those those elements aren't, ac- aren't accidental. Bond's clothing to mm-hmm. look like. Um, uh, more like Steve McQueen. That's not accidental. The choice of yeah. this motorcycle as well. This is a Monte Corsa. Um, for anybody who knows anything about motorcycles, uh, which is me, um, it's it's a, kind of, it's, a, it's a very lightweight trials bike that they've made to look like an old kind of um, Triumph or Honda. Uh, it looks like a 1960s bike. It's it's not at all. It's it's a stunt bike uh, or or a or an off road bike. Um, which again to try to kind of make him more Steve McQueen, um, mm. which is an interesting choice. Uh, and and just quickly, whilst we were on this boat chase as well, what the hell happens at the end of this boat chase? If anyone can explain <laughs> uh, how how he defeats the enemies at the end of this, please write in. I would love to know. Mm. Well, I have to see it now. I, don't uh, <laughs> I think Camille gets like hit in the face with a boat or something, which for the longest yeah. time I'd never understood why she was unconscious. But I think she he Takes manages to flip them. Yeah, pretty much. He manages to like flip boats over each other somehow. He also but he throws he the, also, he th- it's the it's the anchor line that he throws, and then it yeah, causes. But he the, also the, rescues her, right, and then just dumps her. So why is <laughs> yeah. he? Why does he break cover? Yeah. Break cover in its, it's, it's, this incredible way to then only just kind of just leave her behind. <laughs> just it, dump her down the shore. <laughs> just makes no sense to me at all. It also, when he's when she says, <clears throat> you know, he says Dominic Green, like like he knows the name already. No one said right. Dominic before. Like it, it's, I, I right. guess, the only way that he makes that connection, you know, when he phones back up to MI6 and says, can you check out Dominic Green? Like there is... There, this is supposed to be the scene where she tells him who that who that guy is, but he's had he mm. hasn't heard that name before, right? And um, you know, fun fact uh, in the draft script, it was actually Damien Green, but then they discovered oh. there was a polit- <laughs> there was a politician called Damien yeah, Green, yeah, Damien who Green, was, who was uh, who was an unknown backbench MP at the time, yeah. So just as well they changed it, <laughs> yeah. And then he had that fantastic porn scandal um, a few years on. <laughs> well, great. Well, the same reason at the start of View to a Kill that they have that disclaimer before the gun barrel about Zoran is no one is not a real person. So <laughs> yeah. that. So I guess there was a real a gu- real guy named Zoran. So, so this is a little jet boat uh, that they've mocked up to make look again look kind of old and battered, but um, but they're fu- they're incredibly fast and maneuverable uh, boats. Um, that's why they're able to do kind of do the stunts that they're doing and spin it around. But again, the, there's absolutely no geography to this chase. There's right. like mm-hmm. who's, chase, who's chasing who at the, who's chasing who at this point? Right, I mean, so. she's knocked out. Oh, right, the, yeah, she's knocked oh, wait, out. Wait. 
by the way, pro tip, when it says in disclaimer, like uh, all these people are fake and there's no one, you know, bears no resemblance to anyone really living. It's what a lie. The hell happened? They, they what freak- the hell happened there? <laughs> <laughs> he, um, I don't know. Something, something he happened. He pulled the boat out from underneath the henchman, but I don't quite know I how. No, if anyone can explain that, like, and here we are. This is like, you know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Ben. This is part of the genius of the movie because a week ago, <laughs> a week ago, another podcast they were doing their review, but they preceded it by having two of you know intense fans, and they were like going on for a half hour each about how this is such a genius movie. And again, you are in the middle of all this confusion, just as Bond is, and this is the genius of the film. Mm. And so there is no. no bad editing. It is merely your inability to understand the greater importance. I've just rescued her, but you can have her. I don't need <laughs> Like, mm. what is going on? And his waterproof phone as well. That's right. I was just about to say. Yeah. To, to speak of a name we haven't heard in a long time. <laughs> Never um, mind. Yeah, I, I look. I I, I love oh, his costuming, and it's, yeah. it's 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 kind of great. I, I, but then we have all the the dog on the roof, and the you know what I find <laughs> funny is like Mark Forst. Mark Forst was like, "I'm going to make this the shortest Bond movie. It should be like a bullet." And then he proceeds to intercut, you know, these random flavor shots. I guess you call. I don't know what yeah, you call. Yeah, but them, the, the, like I, I think I, I think at least they give you uh, uh, it's something we've talked about before. At least they make you feel like um, you're, you're there a bit more than a lot of the time with the recent films when, you know, it's just like land and then something happens, then you go somewhere else. And uh, uh, I, I do think there is a sense of, of actually being uh, in high tea. Yeah. Yeah. Can I, I just say, this trick, that, this, this, this trick that Judy does here, I've actually done it in real life and it works. <laughs> <laughs> when you're trying to get to somebody high up in an organization and you just use the first name you get and then they say oh he's not available and it's like yeah you got straight through to the right receptionist <laughs> <laughs> mm. david was it you who pointed out on twitter recently sort of like how silly it is that the head of the secret service has like a glass office like she has this massive yes. glass wall that everyone can uh, <laughs> look into in. not not me i don't think yeah and yeah uh. Uh, they they got the idea from a Bloomberg LP because they have big glass offices that uh, at, at New but then York headquarters. But then you've got Rory Kinnear, who is one of the best actors um, in the United Kingdom, um, and he's ba- he's basically his job is to act against a glass wall, which is right. you know that's that's kind of under un- like you've got such a good cast in this in this uh, movie and everyone is so sort of underutilized more mm. more ford vehicles here of course um, is that hopper from stranger things on the plane with felix Slater? Uh, yes it is, that's why yeah. i was joking that we should that you can actually get a um gregory beam funko pop because you just <laughs> you get the stranger things one and he just add, add, a, add a mustache to it add a mustache um, to it are you there already lisa i'm not at that point Ben, yeah. I don't know how every week you fall behind or ahead. There was, there was just, there was a very short clip of them sitting there, 
And then we oh, walked no. back to, yeah, it was just a thought that. Oh, okay. I must've, I must've been looking out the window or something. Yeah. Um, it was just a quick one. And I'm like, is that Hopper? So and I, I was going to say, I noticed this yesterday. It's like, I do like uh, Jeffrey Wright in the sequence. Yeah. He's not saying very much at all, but you can just tell he's pissed. He, he is. Yeah. <laughs> he's he, he projects like, I am so mad. Like you guys make me sick. I would like to just uh, point out uh, something that um, is, is going to make me seem like an idiot. Um, so uh, for the for the films, obviously, they do tie-ins with different companies. Uh, Jeffrey Wright's watch is by a company called Hamilton, um, and it's called a Crosswind. And I for a lot and, and the way that they spell it is with an X, and it's W I N D. So for a longest time, I called it an X Wind. In in places where I should have known better, uh, with with very serious watch journalists. So um, I'm just proud of myself now for being for being quite an idiot. Um, It's yeah, it's a crosswind. Um, I like how the fact that Dominic Green and Elvis get changed into black tie about eight hours before they land in (laughs) (laughs) Austria. Super comfy. Mm. Yeah, he's basically unrecognizable in this, um, which is which is kind of interesting. Um, and and also the kind of I remember when this came out, the the, the uh, there was a lot of talk on the forums about um, how the politics of this film was, uh, you know, to make the Americans seem complicit in in the the bad guys kind of plot was. Uh, was a bad move and there was a lot of well, uh, well it wasn't there. just on the forums i mean mark forster did interviews to that effect yeah and in yeah. the script he changed the he, he added the line allegedly about that well the dollar isn't what it used to be i'll have euros kind of thing that was his kind of stick at it um yeah. just <clears throat> while we got these guys talking in a plane to get the basil exposition stuff out of the way um <laughs> For, forster wanted um bruno gans to be the villain um, oh. But he got he got vetoed by Eon, and then when Almerick took the role, he wanted to have some kind of physical deformity to be, you know, a retro Bond villain, hmm. and Forster vetoed that. So, huh. so we end up with one of the I think weakest villains of the series. Yeah, mm. Almerick is a very like, good, very I, good actor. But I mm. do like the concept of having like environmentalism being like this, this, this. Um, it's utilizing it as a cover and really what he's doing is just going to be like hoarding resources. But I like the fact that you're taking sort of the rise of sort of environmentalism and utilizing it as a foil. I think it's kind of clever. And I like that it's green in it and all that stuff. Well, but it was based on a a real thing, wasn't it? A real event. Uh, You know, the, the water riots uh, um, in Bolivia. So it's, you know, it's, it is very much rooted in, in reality. As so we're back to, to Europe again. As opposed to Moonraker and kiss the girls and make them die. Right. Uh, so, you know, we're 38 minutes in and we're, bun- we're, just, we're back to our third continent. I do like his, his ability, to hit the way he kind of sees the guy and changes into the, the dinner jacket. I think it's a very nice, it's very Bondian moment um, for him to kind of uh, get, into, well, get into the role. 
I was going to say this sequence you know, at the opera actually saved the movie for me. I love it. Up, right. Because yeah. up until now, like Bond has like been stumbling around and killing people willy nilly. And it's like, I'm getting like really depressed watching this. But like finally in this sequence, he shows some brains and like, you know, and, and actually kind of figures things out and, um, you know, like stealing the guy's tux. So now he can blend in more easily as a beginning and then he sniffs out the fact that quantum is having a board meeting in the middle of an opera now that in itself is kind of a weird thing yeah anyway. wouldn't it have been funny if they were just literally just going to the opera him and elvis yeah. and he had to sit through tosca and then follow right. them somewhere else afterwards but I, yeah. I like that concept of of like hiding in plain sight and you're in a space where you're not supposed to be talking so nobody's going to think that you all these wealthy elite who are peppered throughout uh uh, an auditorium or wherever they are, are actually talking and communicating and quantum could be the next specter, which was what I thought was really exciting about it. And I like the action dynamics. Like I really do like the way that all of this is, at least for me, like the way that it's set up and it's, it's potential and the way that it's shot. Um, I, I actually think you. that it's probably one of the best scenes in the film. I agree so, with you a lot on that, except that yeah. there is one thing, though, when Bond then smokes them out, they all go running to the doors. Oh, we got to get out of here. Yeah, except that's a little... for Except for Mr. White, the smartest of them all, who sits there and just calmly like watches them that's go how, out. And that, like, that's how he gets and, away. And, yeah. and drops the best line of the movie. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, right. But, but uh, the I thing also... to, I wanted to mention here was this: the whole Austria sequence was actually um, the... the Person playing point on that was actually Greg Wilson. Mm. So, well, hmm. yes, yeah, so this this movie has his first on-screen credit. Yeah, and he He's did the. He was focusing on the Austria, and then of course for Spectre, he also did the whole snow chase. Um, yeah, his title location. in this movie is assistant producer. His, but he is in the main titles along with like four or five other people. But that was the first time I ever noticed him get a actual on-screen credit. Was this film? So just to, I, I love just, here how Elvis is like, isn't this great? I love yeah. this. And the other guy's <laughs> like, what? Hmm. Um, so the only the only issue I have here is it's a bit like Bill's sunset in, in the east or wherever it was. Um, if you're familiar with Tosca, uh, this this is all over the shop. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Um, so that that to me does kind of pull me out slightly of this sequence because um it's not they've it's not just got to watch the highlights though yeah it's 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 a bit strange for that but otherwise i do i do really enjoy this and i do like the kind of um bringing a little bit of uh, culture so to speak um in, in it would have uh, been funny because this is a real this is a real location where they do a production every year it's a different production every year yeah. that they do yeah. um it would have been funny if they like if it was like Mary Poppins that year or something. That's another that's another thing that also dates it because that this is an actual um, uh, this actually took place here. This um, yeah, that's this what I mean. Of, it's like um, they were stuck with Tosca whether they liked it or not because that's what well, they do. Yeah, but well, that's two thousand and eight. So uh, what I mean is that's that's two thousand and eight, right? So. Yeah. So the idea that this took place immediately after um, Casino Royale. Oh yeah, good so point. This, done, this is another yep. thing that, sh that yeah. says, "Oh no, it, it, it didn't." And if it had been set, set in 2020, the whole auditorium would have been empty. 
(laughs) (laughs) So anyway, so here they're all getting up and leaving and giving themselves away and letting Bond take their pictures. But Mr. White, all he does is he takes out his earpiece and he like watches the rest of the opera. The the one smart person in the sequence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and Bond actually passes within a few feet of him, which I think is brilliant. You know, he doesn't, and he just enjoys the rest of the opera. Yeah. <laughs> so really he served a promotion after this rather than yeah. the fate that he yeah, received. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like Johnny English, is he got promoted because everybody else died. That <laughs> <laughs> was captured. Yeah. So mm. Mr. White became the leader. Survival of the fittest, as they say. Mm. <laughs> There's a strange um, shot of Tanner in here, which looks like, of Rory Kinnear, which looks like it was actually taken on a webcam, which I've yes. never fully understood. Yeah. Yep. Oh, okay. um, also, so, that 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 um, that uh, one of the people he took a picture of um, would have tied into the uh, ending that did get shot, but then then this got bit discarded. Is great, mm, guy Hayes. And I like I like the guy lack Hayes. of sound. Yes, so, like, absolutely, suppose, absolutely. No time to die. Do you suppose no time to die will resolve the Guy Haynes storyline? No. Story no. <laughs> Probably not. It's just the I can Guy tell you Haynes. this. It's really when, annoying because, like, I am a Hitchcock buff, so Guy Haynes, Strangers on a Train, like, I know that yeah. name, and they bring it up, like, yeah, yeah. three or four times in this film, and it never goes anywhere. Obviously, it was part of that uh, deleted ending, but it's uh, very distracting and annoying. And here you have the stunt team playing the goons, so you recognise yeah. some of these people from the submarine and the world is not enough. Oh yeah, other yeah. I, I, I asked this guy to punch me in the face once. Um, he was he was doing an event, uh, and I, I got very excited and asked for a photo of uh, of him punching me in the face, which he did, which I was very did he say uh, piss off? <laughs> no, I should have really asked him to do that. But, uh, I hope he pulled the punch. Oh, so obviously that's uh, that's that's your pyramids uh, <laughs> moment. Uh, uh, th- yeah, this is oh God. There, there is so much messiness about this film, and um, you know why would why would they shoot him just because he's seen him? And mm. uh, it's oh God. Yeah, because they're, they're not so going to have CCTV there, trouble, are they? Of course. No, it's mm-hmm. God. It just makes things worse ultimately. And then we've got Judy in doing a doing a nightly routine. Lovely bath. Nice bath. I want yeah. I want a bath like that. <laughs> so he get to see the ill-fated husband of M because between this and Skyfall, he dies. Right. Mm. Yeah. You watch this movie. Is in this one? Or, I think it's in Casino Royale. Actually, he drowns in the bathtub. <laughs> I, I think I know why they did. I think they know why they did that. They did that so that, that you know she wouldn't be kind of like leaving anybody behind when she died in Skyfall. Yeah, they, they throw that in there. She's one of the few characters and one of the few women that we see like this notion of taking off her face, the makeup. I mean, this is not an image that you usually get of women in film and especially, you know, a woman in power. And I think it's very interesting that they're sort of stripping her down. Yeah, it stuck out to me the first time we saw it as well, Lisa. It's like it's brave move to do this whole, well, Well, you know, and and we jump forward to Spectre and we have Money Penny in a fridge, I guess would be the later. Well, and then in uh, Skyfall, they took it a step further when, um, Oh, the MI6 headquarters blows up, and there's this really tight shot on uh, on uh, Dame Judy, and it's like Roger Deakins was like trying to like show up every line in her face as she mm. stares right. at the destroyed MI6. Mm. Um, 
So you so, know how we were watching like movies from the 70s and saying, oh, that's a defunct airline. Well, this is a defunct airline. They went out of business like a couple of years after this film. Right, well, <laughs> oh, yeah, last, last yeah, week yeah, yeah. was licensed Oh, I didn't kill. know they were real. It was a business class only charter jet service and they, they went out of business like right after this film. <laughs> so um, one of the other things here is obviously, um, you know, the, the Cairo thing. Would you mind saying that I went to Cairo? She obviously doesn't. So, you know, she, she obviously doesn't do that. Um, and the other thing, too, is like Judy has just said, hey, uh, cancel his cards, cancel his passports, restrict his movements. Don't let him go anywhere. The next shot, he's, he's in Italy. He's in Italy. Um, <laughs> again, again, again. He could again. Have, to be fair, he could have driven there. So. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's uh, and, and it's also just this time dilation. Like we see the guys on the plane. I'm going to start knocking on people's doors like that and see what happens. Well, I'll show there's a big door knocker there. Anyway, all right. Literally two hours after Casino Royale, and Mathis is living in a villa that MI6 bought for him. <laughs> two hours later, two he's hours got a later. girlfriend. Yeah. yeah. Again, Maybe it's an Airbnb. Just, just a word on costuming. Again, this is a classic look that um uh steve mcqueen had uh the cut the, the yes. Sean cardigan the white shirt yeah. um, i hate that cardigan I, I've, I've always hated it <laughs> <laughs> um but it's but it is interesting that you know uh you've got a change of costume designer you've also got a change of um partnerships in like so the suiting was bright brioni um through Brosnan's tenure and then into Casino Royale, but now we're obviously into Tom Ford. Um, so Tom Ford's throwing a, 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 the whole kind of uh, war, you know, but, his whole wardrobe but, is basically Tom Ford at this point. But of course, as a part of that change, at the end of uh, Casino, he's wearing a three piece suit. At the start of this movie, it's like two piece suit. And it's yeah, like... it's also it's also cut very differently. Um, you know, Ford Ford cuts suits very differently to to brioni um and and, you know, if, if and then on the forms they said oh he just took his vest off that that, that that can be explained it's like no the suit looks different and it's like why does he take the time to take his vest off if he's being right. chased by and, all these bad guys and and, and which him. and which pharmacist did he go into to get his prints developed in the time <laughs> it came from austria can mm -hmm. we talk about Gemma for a second the woman who's laying there um, there's two, first, two red, two redhead gemmas in this movie. When I first saw her, I thought a bit of Naomi um, uh, from the underwater one. Um, oh, the spy who loved me. The spy who loved me. But when he basically said, Gemma, go work on your tan, it reminded me of the dink man talk line. Man talk, yes. Where you, yeah. you know, is this like the new version of man talk about sort of dismissing the woman and having her sort of go to the side to go right, work they, on her tan while the men work together, even though she's two feet away and she can hear? Right, exclu <laughs> excluding the butt slap, yes. It is very similar. Yeah, it just reminded me nice. of that. Yeah, it, it's 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 very much that case. I want and your hands on has, my skin. And she has no and she has no say in in his sort of decision making, and it's kind of unfortunate. No, but what I like about the scene though, Ben, is he actually makes a decision. It's not like an automatic thing that he's just going to go and do this. Like, there's a moment where he's thinking about it, and they show that, and I think that's nice. 
for a change. Can we talk about the the martini scene here? The Vesper martini that Bond is so lovesick over Vesper Lynn that he's trying to consume her in drink after drink after drink and he is drunk off of her. And I think that this is just a really good example of just the amount of sorrow that he has and, and how hurt he is um, about Vesperlin, which then explains why he really can't make significant uh, romantic attachments, specifically with Camille Montez by the end of the film. He's still lovesick over Vesperlin. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. also in the scene, the bartender displays, okay, we have now dispensed with the shaken, not stirred catchphrase. And instead he has a paragraph Let's all say it together. That is none of a mouth. That's the other thing too. The Kinalele doesn't even exist. So we no. you know, not that that should matter in a in a very fictional universe anyway. Oh my god, that thing doesn't exist in this fictional thing. Um but Well it, my it point is, is just it, it you take something that was a snappy catchphrase and it becomes this it almost yeah, it, it becomes labored. essentially exposition, and it's like yeah. I get it, and they're like taking it from the novels, and you know this isn't your father's James Bond. I get all that, but like I'm not yeah. sure it's that much of an improvement. So that was all, did, that was all uh, shot on the Virgin Atlantic training plane. I did love the um, I love I love the pills to make you taller line that got a good laugh in the right. cinema. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I, I actually, yeah, a lot of a lot of um, Mathis's dialogue is very good. And I, presumably, it's because oh, just got what that is now. <laughs> pre- presumably, it's because he had some input during shooting because it's, uh, some of his di- dialogue is very, very good. Okay, he's yeah. now been met by Agent Fields, and we will soon have Stro- in a few minutes fields. the worst, the worst pickup line ever. We'll wait for that. No, if it, yes. if 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 yes. it works, if it works, it's not the worst line ever. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, it works here, because it's written by writers, not because it would work in right. real life. Here we're going to have three conversations <laughs> in three conversations in two languages. This, this is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder if this was like. Forster or whoever, like it was. This was their. This was their um, protest against exposition sequences. So you know what we're going to do? Two at the same time, one in a foreign language, and put subtitles on it. The thing is, you really don't need to be subtitling the taxi driver's lines. Like so much of what, like you just get from even without the subtitles. That okay, he's just chattering on, and Mathis is trying to do something else, and that comes through in the physicality of the performance. You don't need to understand what his mother said to him, or or any of that kind of stuff. Yep. It just it's just an extra layer of all right. They want me to pay attention to this so i'm not paying attention to the actual relevant things that are going on in it's, this sequence it's so bad and mm. oh god it just makes it so clunky and mm. it, again bringing up the fact that the men and the women at the water well who are going to be you know so impacted by this huge plot they don't get subtitles we don't oh. get to hear what they have to say but we care about what the taxi driver has to say really like that's right. where you put your money that means you um, did have the money and the cost you just made a choice so they, had to, they had to they had to do up this building for that establishing shot and then this is all obviously cut into pine wood now hmm. i do like the teachers on sabbatical line um mm. it's i mean there's a couple of People said that this is a humorless film. Um, I think the teachers on sabbatical and the Tosca's not for everyone lines are pretty good. Um, if you like sort of slightly dry humor. Um, right. Mm. So uh, the Fleming centenary, uh, which was, uh, which was uh, 
I, I guess it was 2008. Um, it was the same month the film oh, came wait, out. Wait, wait, wait. I can't find any stationery. Will you help me look? Yes. And it's like, I'm sorry. Even though he has sex, it's still the worst pickup line ever. I'm sorry. It's terrible. I guess that's um, the writer's strike. This was the, this was the, this was the, the the little uh, scene that they uh, allowed us to watch at the, um, at the Fleming centenary. It was the kind of, um, and now an exclusive clip from quantum of solace and it was that <laughs> you know like, yeah. like oh wow that, that's that's told me everything i need to know even like the room designations like at what point they must have had a conversation of like all right yes um bond and fields is going to have the connecting rooms and mathis will be off on his own like it, yeah it, how did this even end up happening how did she end up in there and craig like the- oh, oh, oh 2008 2008 that invitation the actual like room itself, the use of black and the shiny material is actually sort of signaling to me what the next step will be for strawberry fields. Like the, yeah. and, 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 and that, you know, especially with this scene, that oil is used as sort of like this, this cover or this red herring for the true plot that is taking place. So I kind of like the imagery and the style of the room just because it's, it's factoring into that like decoy. Mm. And this, I, speaking of badly edited sequences, this, oh. this, this to me is like the top worst one. I just oh, on Strawberry worst. Fields. So um, on Strawberry Fields, so um, the the two other actresses that came close were uh, Jessica Biel and uh, Frida Pinto. Uh, and of course, and of course, Frida Pinto would then jump to fame with um, Slumdog Millionaire the same year with Danny mm. Boyle. So you know, yeah. this is a real location, isn't it? That they just dressed, yeah. I think, and so that's it is. quite a nice bit of uh, set dressing. Mm. Uh, I think I think it used to be some... it, it used to be a, a villa where uh, Noriega used to entertain people or something like that. Uh, hmm. uh, it's a, I think it's a it's a very uh, nicely done. Um, bit of uh, location dressing as opposed to just doing the kind of the set in Pinewood. Um, mm. but, um, everyone's wrapped tension. Um, well, this is, green, I hate, green I hate all those po- shots of um, just random people. Obviously the language of film should tell you that, Oh, these people are important. Like, right. you, mm, you know, yeah. the close-ups are like, you know, we see Bond, uh, we see Fields, Mathis, and, the, and then these random people in the middle of it. And then all of a sudden later on in the, in the sequence Felix is there it's a beautiful location but again the geography is just completely spoiled by the editing also Green is wearing his quantum Q pin on his lapel like uh, what does Q have something to do with your company Mr. Green Um, Mm. like not a very good job of being a secret organization you know he shot a guy for looking at him earlier right (laughs) and he's wearing his Q pin with the logo Mm. of the of the organization yeah it's it's I, kind I, of. I'm surprised ridiculous. he doesn't have a TM mark, you know, the trademark. Uh, <laughs> Just coming back to what's uh, what was mentioned earlier about him having a kind of a you know a facial deformity or some kind of deformity, um, and 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 Foster not allowing it or vetoing it. Uh, Amalric does have uh, those those incredible eyes that do kind of remind me of the this, the Fleming's description of uh, Le Chiffre, mm, um, right. So he's he does kind of almost just in his in his natural kind of uh, way um, project that kind of Bond villainy um, 
just through just through the, the intensity of his eyes. So I, I think he gets maligned a great deal as a villain, but I think he's got something there. So does Felix spot Bond here? Oh, who knows? The eyelines were lovely. Like, there was a random <laughs> shot of like a lady at the bar, like looking over, uh, like uh, at Bond, maybe. But who is she? Is she looking at him? Why is that shot there? It's oh, it's all kinds oh. of confusing. Okay, so also coming up, Jeffrey uh, Wright. So when I, when I was happy. when I was watching <laughs> when I was watching this yesterday, my wife said, referring to Craig, is he really taller than all those people? I said. I can't say, but I have seen photographs of Humphrey Bogart and Robert De Niro in elevator shoes while they were filming movies. So you don't, oh, yeah. you never know. Mm. Um, I just, yeah, I, I, I think um, Jeffrey White writes a kind of persona uh, as Felix. You know, like I said in the novels, he's kind of written as a kind of very jovial foil to Bond. Mm. He just always seems like he just doesn't want to be wherever they put him. He said, yeah. I don't want to be on this plane. I don't want to be playing cards. I don't want to be sitting at this party. <laughs> you know, like wherever he is, he's just basically miserable. Mm. It'd be nice. Even when he's in the bar later and he buys Bond a beer, he's like, oh, God, do I have to be in this bar with this? <laughs> do, I, do I have to do that's, any that's, of this stuff? That's, that's, that's why he eats the peppers. That's why he eats the peppers. <laughs> but it would be really mm. nice maybe in, um, you know, when we get to finally see um, – the, the next Bond film, um, No Time to Die. It would be nice if he actually turns up and smiles and you know, hmm. maybe enjoys enjoys his life. Here we go. This is the, your uh, toupee off oh, yeah. moment. Here it comes. Blink and you miss it. There it goes. Yep. <laughs> and it, you just can't even see it because of the shadow cut, and the darkness. Cut to, just, a, yeah. Yeah. Cut to a cheese tray. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then Felix has been there, but has Bond seen him? Does he know he's and, there? Like what? Yeah, Ugh. they don't know. He just looks miserable. He hasn't enjoyed the cheese. He's lactose intolerant. <laughs> <laughs> mm. I mean, I don't, I don't want to blame the editing entirely because I, I know that a part of it is direction. Like, it, it, what was in the director's head? What was his sort of storytelling? Um, you know. Uh, plan for this it's but it's uh, it's just all over the place but did nobody look at the storyboards and like be like you know this doesn't (laughs) really make sense like how did we get from here to here Mm. to here because there is so much meticulous planning that should go in because movies cost a lot of money to make there's a lot of planning it is Mm. all these movies bond movies are meticulously storyboarded but that doesn't mean the director uses them Mm. Um, I can say this that for, is true. for like Martin Campbell's movies. Yeah. Shot for shot. Exactly how they set and storyboarded it. But yeah. for mm. this, mm, not so sure. Not so much. Yeah. But I think Mark Forster's like, all of his films are like this. It's like I said, like Christopher Robin, like it, it, I, um, World War Z. It's like so much of his um, output is just incomprehensible. Uh, uh, it's it, So yeah. we get the policeman saying, get him out before we get a shot of Mathis. Uh, yeah. Um, well, yeah, that just admit, you know that to, to tip the audience that the police are crooked, right? I mean, that's yeah. Oh, it's uh... and the whole he's moving, so they were sup- they were tipped off that Mathis was dead, so they knew he was there. But then he's alive, so they knew that they had to kill him when they saw him alive, and that oh, took it's... priority over killing Bond. It's it's weird. Perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> so, there was a lot. Of, um, there was a lot of backlash. Um, the killing his character yes. off, and in and in particular the way in which um, Bond uh, leaves 
Leaves his body, no, I, 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 gotta, I, I, thank, I think I, I think they should have, have killed him off. Yeah. Well, no, well also, we have to thank with, Mark Forster here for the whole like reopening the friggin' code name bullshit. Oh. Well, well, also when I was watching this yesterday with my uh, wife, at one point later in the film, she says uh, uh, when Bond and Camille have some exchange, she she made a comment as if it was Camille. Oh, don't worry. If they kill you, I'll dump your body in a dumpster too. <laughs> well, the the other thing she says in that cave sequence is, "Have you ever lost anybody?" Uh, like a couple of hours <laughs> after this. you were there, wow. you were standing next to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. You watched him bleed out. Yeah, hmm. I, I think he's a great actor. He was a, hmm. a, a great, a great. Um, it's very charming, and uh, you know, it, he he was a real kind of asset to the series. And I think, um, in in many ways, kind of playing the the Felix role better than yep. Felix. Yeah. Um, so it's it, it was very sad to sort of uh, say goodbye to Mathis uh, in this mm. way. Um, but it's interesting that we have we had Vesper Lynn die in Bond's arms in Casino Royale. Then we have Mathis dying in Bond's arms in Quantum of Solace. Then we have M spoiler dying in Skyfall. Like this seems to be like a Daniel Craig like the people closest to him seem to die, like his love interest and then like his surrogate mom and maybe his surrogate dad. There just seems to be a lot of people dying. Yeah. This is your webcam shot, Kevin. Oh, God, another one, yeah. yeah. Jesus, two Um, of them. I just, it's, you know, the more times you watch these, you eventually pick up on things. I just realized the reason Bond throws his wallet there and takes the money is to make it look like it was a mugging. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh, God, this whole thing is just uh, very difficult. So this DC... Uh, Ten. Three. Ten. Three. Uh, Ten. <laughs> let's, let's split the difference. Twelve. DC five. Nine. DC five. Um, How would they know, know it was there? Well, <laughs> they looked it up in the yellow pages. Uh, so they they started. I, look, I, I'm a bit sketchy on my my uh, quantum knowledge, but they spent an, a huge amount of money um, flying this. Yes, they did. DC. Three, ten, five. Somebody correct me on the model number. Uh, all the way down uh, to uh, South America, just yeah. for this for this sequence, for this establishing um, shot, effectively. Because yeah, for, essentially for this, because the rest of it's studio, right? Um, you know, the right. interior shots and everything is, uh, you know, when they're they're doing the flying sequences. Um, but yeah, it was a it was it was a vast oh look, Camille is now a Caucasian. <laughs> I, I guess she was scared. Maybe, maybe, the, maybe it was just all those weeks. It was all those weeks in the studio. She just, yeah, lost a turn. Hmm. I have to admit, I did not notice that until yesterday when I was watching this to prep Jeez. for the podcast. I mean, look, I, 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 she, suddenly I, she looks Russian instead of you know South American. I do like there's a little moment in here which you pick up on which is like she says something about M or something and or he says M or something and he just makes this kind of like exhales through his nose laugh which mm. I think is a great little touch mm. that's a nice moment um, and he, oh by the way what's that oh yeah it's a, like, do you think they're going to be important in a minute yeah <laughs> that's two shots of them if, just in if case if it were a Tex Avery cartoon there'd be a big sign that said here is the hole you will perish <laughs> into but even then mm. even when we've even when we've seen that we don't really get the sense that they're 
when they when they hit the ground, you should have a shot of them going, "Oh my god, they're going to hit the ground," and then cut to kind of them being in the sinkhole. You know what mm, I mean? Like it, it, right. it doesn't. You don't get that moment of, "Oh my god, they're going to hit the hit the." It's kind of it's a it's a wasted opportunity, really. I think. Um, mm. I do bemoan the Daniel Craig era Bond sort of uh, sort of fetish for these very slow plane chases. It's like, I think like the <laughs> octopusy chase and the you live twice like with um, little Nelly like they work because the vehicle that Bond is in can kind of turn on a dime and mm-hmm, they fire mm-hmm. missiles, helicopters after him, all this kind of stuff. In this Inspector, he's in these incredibly big lumbering um, vehicles, and it's just it's hard to maintain a sense of excitement because it's like well the planes have like one pass at each other and then it takes them a good couple of minutes to kind of like circle back around to have another pass at each other it's very yeah the uh, the thing is you've you've got an extremely maneuverable aircraft in this little uh this little um plane here Mm. um you know they use them for the red bull races and that kind of thing they're they're, they they are incredibly maneuverable um whereas mm. a fighter jet going up against a decades old plane yeah it, the, mm. the 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 dc sort of 10 dc3 cannot cannot do those kinds of maneuvers it's just it's impossible for it to do mm. it and it seems kind of ridiculous in any kind in any in any, kind kind of, in any well in any kind of yeah it's just yeah but could Sorry, this be I... a metaphor for James Bond? I mean, Daniel Craig comes in with this hard-bodied masculinity. You know, he is seen as a blunt instrument that's sort of one-dimensional. He's got all these older planes that he has to somehow maneuver. And he's taking out all these little, like, these fancy little tiny planes. And he's going up and, and somehow finding a way to outsmart them or outwork them. That kind oh, of yeah, absolutely. Are you, oh, wait, are you suggesting Daniel Craig it's a per- in a plane? Are you suggesting oh, yeah, no, it's the precursor to the old ways are the best? Yes, <laughs> I'm just saying. Oh, I, I agree. It's 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 a way of showing that he's you know his skill is infinitely better than you know the the, the equipment. The trained pilot, and yeah. it's also a regendering of the of planes because a lot of aircraft are piloted by women. Um, in the previous film, we have a lot of pilots or personal assistant pilots who seem to be very uh, capable um, in that space. And so as Bond sort of takes over, you know, sort of the, the visual elements being presented more like a Bond girl in Casino Royale, it's almost as if he's taken on that that, that typically female role in the Bond films of also being good with aircraft. I'd love hmm. it if they just said, oh, parachutes for the both of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, little bit of trivia. The helicopter pilot um, here, bum, 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 uh, uh, Alfonso Caron, the director. Yeah. Oh, yep. yes. Um, yeah. Huh. Not many people uh, pick up on that. Not um, a lot of people know that. Not a lot of people know that. <laughs> um, yeah, they probably do if they're watching this stuff. Guillermo <laughs> del Toro's in here somewhere, isn't he, as well? He's a voice. Somewhere, uh, I believe. Yeah, he's, I think he's. Um, he, did, he did some of the, the, the voice works on. Um, the pilots. Some of these, shot, some, of these some of these shots are, are just like you not, go and get a real great. plane. Yeah. You go and get a real plane, and then for that shot, you CGI it. It just yeah, mm, well, well, it's and, so... and also coming up here, it's like with them those two falling, 
I mean, it's like <laughs> it is not the most convincing. And this apparently is the only scene that in the main titles of Spectre they felt they would reference Quantum. Right. Right. Free falling. Because, well, they did mm-hmm. this in one of those um, free fall simulator tube yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. A few if you're More falling waste. that far. Oh, so this is the interior of Blades. <laughs> yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, Place needed redecorating anyway. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> um, there's our but, there's our uh, mandatory dine of the day. <laughs> so the, uh, uh, this is one of my favorite scenes of the whole movie. It's the late Tim Pickett Smith, who's who is fantastic. Andy, we love fantastic yeah. in the use. And I love what 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 Spawn's excuse this time is illegally blind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got the biggest laugh in the cinema. Mm. Sorry, I'll, I'll mute myself. He was uh, he was a really fantastic uh, actor, and it's a it's a shame. Mm. He, he you know he, he doesn't have a lot to say in this particular scene, but he does a lot with it. Well, mm. this is this is the proxy for the prime minister role that we've had since Rogers' era, and and where... it's also supposed to show the corruption of the UK government. In addition, well, the, com- to the, the complicity, the complicity yeah. of it, complicity, yeah. yes, exactly. And... I mean, you could argue corrupt as well, but I think you know, yeah. And doesn't so, he say like put put Bond down? Like if you can't get him in order, put him down. And there's well, that, if, that if you consideration the that will. he's a dog. And then I'm thinking of Skyfall with the old dog. But like even that he's notion that off. he's writing yeah. Bond off, yeah, and that your agents are disposable. And I think that becomes sort of a part of you know the Daniel Craig era of agents dying all the time or being replaced. Mm. Yeah, I mean that's uh, you know you we yeah. we from this imagine we go to the opening oh. of Skyfall where M basically just says leave him you know when the when the guys bleeding out at the start yeah. in Istanbul and, and well she's she's, she's the, cold um, and she's you know, cold and and her uh, skin color has darkened since the plane yeah sequence so she's yeah she's um she's only cold I mean she's just fallen you know she's that South parachute, American again that parachute opened for like all of three seconds if that um she's not a bloody pulpy mess on the ground but she is chilly <laughs> and and she is now fully south american again after having miraculously turned into yeah. caucasian in the plane sequence and but i also think this is to me, this reminds me a lot of the way that Bond, especially dressed up, went and tried to comfort Vesper Lind in the in the shower, yep. but he's yep. not beside her. There's a distance between them. He has a desire to protect Camille the way that he had a desire to protect Vesper, but there's something, there's literally space between them. And I think that that's yeah. a parallel that's being made here. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's a very good point. I'd never seen way. that before, yeah. I'd never noticed that before, but his hands in pockets, he's very uh-huh. distant from her. Yeah, and they're no, at least six feet apart. Parallel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and he's and and he's his guards up. He's very, you know, his his emotions are, you know, he's he's very steely rather rather than being kind of, um, you know, uh, soft as he was with uh, with Vesper in the shower. Mm. Soft in the shower. I find it very interesting <laughs> that they really sold Camille <laughs> as being sort of like on all the posters and everything, you know, her and Bond are sort of like take up equal amount of space on it, almost sort of like Brosnan and Halle Berry yeah. on um, Dine of the Day. Yeah. And yet she's not really treated as his equal exactly. It's a, a strange, um, yeah, it's a strange character. But I like the fact, I like the fact that she's there on a, I, I really like Camille Montez. So I like the fact that she's 
she's working with Bond because she has her own personal motivation and because their motivations line up and that's why yeah. they are, their paths are intersecting. And then mm. once their mission is done, they, they step away from each other. And this is something mm. that I have wanted from a Bond film for a very long time. This idea that simply because you're working with somebody trying to save the world, it doesn't mean you're going to have sex with them. And I like mm. having hetero heterosocial relationships, friendships, partnerships, because you don't sleep with everybody that you work with. Right. And so for me, I actually wow. think that Camille uh, Montes is probably one of the most Harvey feminist. Harvey Weinstein and Harvey right? Weinstein. Yeah. Yeah. That, that she's one of the most, this is one of the most feminist films in the way that there isn't some sort of romance that is, that is put between them. And I, and I really like that fact. A hundred percent. I think it was a smart move to not have them sleep together. I, I, I really appreciated that. Mm-hmm. I think it was right for where he was, where he is at emotionally in this film as well. Um, I mean, I know he does sleep with Fields, but it's you know the, they're not they're not trying to kind of. If they, if, if they had slept together, it would have been like checking off a box. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, there was no point to it. So, oh, mm. here we have what I consider a somewhat pretentious sequence. It's somewhat. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's artsy, but like we have these shots of these villagers. This is, yeah, this thirsty is unf- villagers. Oh, we're so thirsty. We yeah. can't get any water. And oh, we do this Bond and Camille walking. It's very Ooh, Spy Who Loved Me, this bit, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. Um, I remember seeing this in the the premiere. That's got. And then they come across. They they come up to the thirsty villagers, and it's like, "Hey, everybody! There's a hidden lake about ten kilometers back there. (laughs) If you're thirsty, you might want to go there and get some water." But like, no, they can't. Bond and Camille can't be bothered to impart that information to all the thirsty villagers. (laughs) So it's like, oh, they'll get the bus. Thanks, Bond. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty mean. James actually. Bond, James Bond, Captain Compassionate. <laughs> he literally could just point, even if he didn't speak their language, and just be like, yeah. that way. And they could actually end up getting the water that they needed. This is a brilliant point. We don't even get their perspective. And yet there is a solution. And Bond could easily have made this solution for them. And he chooses mm. to sort of get on a bus and drive away. Because but, because this is Mark Forrester making artsy fartsy shots. It was a weird one because yeah. we don't like even when there is like kind of like a public crisis, a, like man with, gun, man with the golden gun, man with the golden gun. Who are these? Who are these spring- the MI6 tension? What, what's going on? Sorry, to interrupt. Like, this this whole note thing that he gets, uh, I, yeah, makes no fucking sense. No, it doesn't. I, I was just going to say about like whole connecting bonds to the public. It's like Man with the Golden Gun springs to mind where we're told there is this energy crisis, but we never exactly see like, you know, families struggling yeah. to turn on their lights <laughs> in an evening or whatever. And yet here we have these, we have, we have these people running out of water, but and yet Bond is kind of detached from them, even though he's right next to them. It, it's Desperately very, really thirsty. Like little yeah. drops well, are the, coming my- out of the pipes. Like yeah. where will my next drink of water be? He walks right Right on by. The man with the golden gun in Monday should have been like an old lady phoning up to switch her energy supplier. Cut <laughs> I was going to say, but Calvin, they- if, if Calvin had been alive uh, when the man with the golden gun came out, you, you would have known that there was an energy crisis. <laughs> the, the, the power in the UK used to go out um, multiple times during the week. It was terrible. Yeah. It didn't date, <laughs> And here we're coming up where, you know, M has brought all these like big 
thuggy guys with her to take Bond in. And then like at one point she then says, he's my agent. I trust him. You didn't trust him 30 seconds ago. Oh, Why do you yeah. trust him now? Um, mm. Good grief. Yeah, I'm, this is- I, I'm getting carried away. I know. But just this movie is so. No, you're quite right. Mm. This is this is not a good uh, homage. This is uh, oh, this this is this yes. is in, insensitively done. I think. Well, oh, also, yes. I mean, here's the other point. They w- starting with Casino. It's like this is a new series. This is a new Bond. This is not right. your father's Bond. And like, but and they avoided homages in Casino. But suddenly, like, oh, let's throw in like the most obvious homage we can with we'll really horrible fade edits. Uh, I hate it. Yeah. And he's okay. wearing a getting into the elevator, And yeah. he's going to like take mm. out six guys or however many it is in the elevator, which I guess Captain America number two kind of copied that, but whatever. They also did it um, in one of the uh, Mission Impossible movies as well. Yeah. When, mm. he, when he's, he's strapped to a gurney and he escapes that way. The only reason I can fathom as to why M is suddenly turned on Bond and has gone from, you know, um, capture him at all costs to, oh, let him go do what he does, is that here he has a conversation with her about he wants Fields to receive the the maximum honours or something like that, or she showed extreme bravery. That is literally the only reason she has to suddenly change her mind, and I don't think it's good enough, but I think that's what they're trying to sell. And if that's correct, then it's like she should like slap her forehead and said, it's like I could have had a V8 moment. Like, right. why didn't I think of that? Yeah. And T- Tanner must have got a different Uber because he shows up like five minutes behind. Is there any significance to her wearing, like she's been wearing black blazers up to this point. Now she's wearing a white blazer. She's blending into the background as if she's not sort of at the forefront. And or, she's- or- or it's that she's on the side of the angels. Yeah, it's this monoch- it's this monochromatic thing that they're doing in the hotel, isn't it? Everything is black and white. And as right. you said earlier, um, you know, you mentioned earlier that like the the blacks in the hotel are kind of oily blacks rather than like, the shiny blacks, uh, whereas the whites are kind of matte matte whites. And you you kind of you, you kind of see that represented in their costuming, I think. And the, the fact and that maybe she's not buying into it. Yeah. Like she's I, not I, I, I think it's more basic. I think it's like she is now on the side of the angels, so now she wears white. That works too, though. I mean, when we think about color associations, it's very easy to look at Darth Vader and the black color, and that's supposed to be associated with villainy. And Luke Skywalker wears white and lighter colors. It could be that that binary. Well, George um, Lucas not known for his subtlety, was he? But I, did, I mean, I, I like, like how the CIA, how the CIA has that like incredibly expensive business class charter jet and this yeah. is their office yeah the shitty little office because <laughs> <under, laughs> they spend all the money on the jets yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but it's literally like they share a, a single desk and it's uh, you know mi6 has got like infinite resources and this pristine white kind of space age HQ and they've got a you know a, a cupboard under the stairs. It's because all, um, all the budget, all, all the budget was lost in Casino Royale. <laughs> well, I, I know just, it. Just two I mean, things. Two hundred thirty million dollars. I don't know. Just I guess just uh, not for the CIA set. 
So there's a, there's remember, a shot of one drinking a beer that every yeah. newspaper forgot about in 2012. It's a fake beer brand as well. And, uh, Cerveza. It's a but they, they, which is weird that they didn't go for Heineken in this. Right, well, I like how like, Felix winces when he drinks it, so maybe right? that's why. I noticed that too. <laughs> that's like, why they Ugh. couldn't get it. <laughs> I, I, yeah. think, I think it's really interesting that, you know, the two things that kind of jumped out like by, by the fans were like Bond is wearing jeans and Bond drinks a beer. They, they License lost, to but, kill. Yeah, they lost their, um, their minds about him wearing jeans. And he doesn't have his license to kill at this point. So. No, right, and they yeah. obviously didn't read the books where he had a Miller High Life with Felix in the novel. Yeah. And Lowen Brown and all, all kinds of beer. There, there are numerous times that he drinks beer in the books. I mean, it's not his, yeah. it's not his uh, usual drink, but he, it's not like he doesn't. Yeah. In, um, in, in Honor Majesty's Secret Service, he goes out and drinks steins of beer. Um. Yeah, this this whole sequence is a little bit weird. It's it, you feel like you didn't have to set this whole kind of um, just to drop this one and, piece and, of information. And it's it's a mirror almost of the Sienna Chase, isn't it? And jumping balconies. But the other thing is, mm. this is where the CIA. Well, they had one shot at getting him, so we're going to give up now. That's it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Guess he got away. And this dialogue between the two of them, you know, you don't. You don't really understand whether that, that this was a setup or because he says something along right. the lines of only what we discussed or something or only what we said we would say. So the implication being that there is a a wider plot to 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 what they said they were, like maybe they were feeding him that information and they were going to get him later on. So that never resolves to anything. Um, and now also, we're about to get to the hotel with the fuel cells powered by Explodium. <laughs> the hotel with no guests in yeah. the because middle of no nowhere. No one would go there. <laughs> well, it's, so it's have you been to a hotel bit. lately, Calvin? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but most in, of those uh, hotels are places people would go if there wasn't a pandemic. In this case, no one would go there if there was no so pandemic. Here's Charlie Chaplin's <laughs> here's Charlie Chaplin's granddaughter, right? Yes. But, um at the premiere they were like interviewing people on the PA, you know, on the stage and let's just square for this. And I was walking up with our group and uh she comes on and or, we can only hear it, right? And she, the the interviewer asked her, "So who do you play?" And she goes, "I play a receptionist at the hotel." The whole audience just in the, in the square just cracks up laughing. It's like, oh, yeah. oh. Yeah. that's, that's, she, that's she's a special guest. Really good actress. Like, yeah. I've seen her in yeah, many she things. She's great. To, um, the hour, right? She was in. Mm, um, with yeah, Peter Capaldi. She was great. Yeah, she, Game of Thrones. Uh, yeah. That shot, there, that shot there of them hiding behind the rock. I swear to God, every time I see this film on TV or something and I flick the channel, it's this bit. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's the same with me. It's the same with me. And this is this is why this is why uh, this is how I got uh, interested in Quantum of Solace again because um, I, I think it's it's a great moment and uh, from this point on, the film really works and because of because of the ending, it saves the film for me. Because beforehand, I, I didn't like the film at all. Uh, oh. I, I just saw it, its flaws, but uh, it, it completely turned I it around. I powerfully, powerfully disagree 
the 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 <laughs> powerfully. That's, that's powerfully? Good. I like that. Whoa, whoa, wait a second. Get in line, Ben. Get I in just, line. I mean, the 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 whole way that this place, this lovely set by uh, Gasner, uh, it's, it's beautiful, by the way. But the whole way it blows up is. Uh, well, you know, we've had we've had earth, we've had air, we've had water. What's coming next? And that's mm. the whole thing about the way Forster approached this film. He had that theme he was obsessed with. Yeah. Um, uh, haphazard stuff. Does yeah, this multi-part the in-depth, in-depth analysis. And it's like, that's all Forster talked about in all the publicity. What was it? Air? Wind? Yeah. Fire, water, earth, wind, and, earth, wind, and fire, and bony ends. Yeah, um, and and that's and it's like, well, that's great, but how about a story? Um, <laughs> well, t- can't have it all. Apparently, <laughs> how about uh, <laughs> apparently? Yes. <laughs> how about a and, sprinkler? And, and, and then again, when, what system? I call the people I call the radical quantum defenders, like who who say this is like the one of the greatest pieces of cinematic art ever. It's like really. really? Are, are we watching the same movie? I guess. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't put myself in that category, by the way, just to, to be clear. Understood. Understood. And, and and you know what? You can like something more than another person, and that's fine. Absolutely. But where, where I object is where you point out the weaknesses and people tell you or tell say to you, you're an idiot. Yeah. And like and, and then try to deny the facts you you know put in front of them. Like mm-hmm. the whole, you know, continuity stuff. I mean, the whole thing was in the publicity for this film, they talked, they played up continuity, direct sequel, you know, two hours after, et cetera, et cetera. And then they couldn't be bothered with like elementary things to establish that continuity that they made a selling point. They made the selling point. I didn't. Mm. And I think you raised a really good issue here when it comes to fandom and the pleasure that we get from text. And I think this is the way that so many people just sort of operate. You can like something and also look at the ways and critique the ways that it's problematic. And both things can be true. You can still like it and still say, okay, I see what you're doing. But this idea of ignoring any sort of critique or criticism because you like something and because a critique is then perceived as being a personal attack on you and your taste, Uh, I think that's where we get into issues, whether it's our media, our political system. You can like a poli- you can like a political party and not like everything that the politicians do. That is okay, but we're in a very binary, all or nothing sort of uh, climate right, right now. Yeah. And I don't yeah, think yeah. it takes anything away to say like, there's some real cool stuff in this film, but well, there's also it, some continuity errors. Like both things can be true. And, yeah. and and to use another quick example, like you only live twice. I enjoy you only live twice. But like, I can also enjoy making light of some of its short, mm. short right? Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. it's like, yeah, I can still enjoy the film, and you know, it. it I mean, that's actually kind of part of the fun. I mean, well, yeah, I think a load of our past watch-alongs of you know, Moonraker, License to Kill, Dine of the Day are um, all sort of derided Bond films, really. And, yeah, yeah, I'm starting uh, to worry know. about how sadistic our Twitter audience is. This is. I know we're, By the we're way, laughing I, I don't know if we've hit this. Like at one point, I was watching yesterday with the crotch shot. My wife said, "Oh, oh that God. was a gratuitous shot." I said, yeah, "You know, yeah, the, the two things outside the premiere bill when we all there's a, a couple hundred of us met up after the premiere at some after party, and the two things everybody talked about: one, the opera sequence of the you know where the 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 audio goes quiet and we get those intercuts; two, 
what's the deal with the crotch shot? Oh yeah, yeah. well yeah. they were like it's the two so, things everyone talked about. It's it's to, it's to um, ex- explicitly say that um, Madrano hadn't got all the way that you know his way with her. Um, that so you know, I mean, it, I mean, you don't really need to see the shot. No, I mean, like you don't, you don't, you you don't, and it's a very bad decision. But at the same time, I also understand. Like, I, I think putting putting the attempt putting the attempted rape in there anyway is is a it's not a great thing anyway. But I think there is mm. a, a nice sort of re- resolution to her character um, by saving. Here goes Elvis. Uh, there's his pants. There they go. Did they fall down? That happened no, they, so quick. They, get they blow off. They get oh. they get blown off. They, they you've got to pause it to see it, but it's um, oh. pretty funny. God, like many things in this film, <laughs> the amount of setup that that will have taken for no one to notice. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sorry. Also, coming up here, this is how Green is like not one of the best villains. He like comes up screaming and like yeah 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 yeah. No, I. I think this is a good thing because he's like not every time you're going to see a like an equally matched. His know. his his interview said something along the lines of because we talked to him after this film was something along the lines of like he doesn't know how to fight and so he is going to look batshit crazy. Yeah, he's just going to go. <laughs> yeah, like he's he's up against a trained killer. So mm. surely, surely you know, like you're not a trained killer. What are you going to do? You're going to just go mad at him, right? Like it's your chance. But like- that's why the villain has a henchman and a competent henchman. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, it's like, that is true. He, you know, in this case, green has Elvis, who is whatever he is. And it's like, uh, anyway, bit of explodium there. Um. I'm not going to lie. I like the fact, I like all of the explosions in this. I like all the fire in this. I like it. If we're going to go Inferno, let's go straight up like John Woo, like make everything be a towering Inferno. Oh, let's, yeah. let's let's have it be like at that level. That axe mm. in the foot bit always makes me wince, but yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm with you. Mm. I'm with you on that, Lisa. Yeah. Well, Burn it I mean, all down. To me, this is like uh, a bigger version of how in the you know how remember how in the world is not enough. There there were those uh, aircraft that like as soon as they touch a tree they exploded, and it's like <laughs> are they fueled by yeah. nitroglycerin or whatever? It's like this takes it up. This isn't nitroglycerin. This is like some element that hasn't been. I, I wonder here. Green, Green knows a lot about Bond's history here because he says, "Yeah, oh, it looks like you lost another one." It's like, did he get a, mm. a, like a file a on Bond's yeah. Yeah. from Blofeld? Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Good it, point. I, I except, do like ex- that. well, except that uh, you know, according to Eon, oh, quantum is much better than uh, Spectre. <laughs> like, yeah. Mm, like, oh, right. yeah. At that at this point when this was filmed, oh, Spectre is old hat. Quantum is new for the twenty first century. Blah blah blah. blah. Except, except mm-hmm. they're not. Yeah. Um, I do like that. Uh, um, she managed to exact her revenge. I think yeah. it, it ties up her story. So, you could you could easily watch a film that was just basically her story, and Bond could be helping her out. There's a clever you little know, bit could, of production. To, I just want to point out a little clever bit of production design here because they use a few sprinklers here and there to show some water being shown, and that's oh. to cover up the fact that they're wearing gels for the fire sequences, oh. which yeah. makes them look wet. Yeah. Oh, I just always thought it was sweating. Huh. No, yeah. that's the gel. Huh. that's the stunt gels. But I like how yeah. trauma, like you can see right here again, he's protecting her. Finally, like trying to he's, let some of the guard down, but she's traumatized. Imagine seeing your family get murdered. Well, and, and he's being protecting part of her. A fire. And she, 
he, she, yeah. he is contemplating killing her and then committing suicide rather than them burn to death until he figures mm. out a way out right here. Yeah, this is one of the darkest moments in the entire franchise, in my view. Mm, yeah, yeah, probably the darkest. Right? <laughs> it's, suddenly he sees us a way to get out. But, oh, if I shoot <clears throat> this thing instead, I don't know. <laughs> <have to> do <laughs> yeah. There we go. Yeah, it was like he shot a nice canister of And meanwhile, Green has managed to hobble three kilometers. Mm. Despite that axe in his foot, he's uh, quite a distance. Yes, there he is. And now they can just saunter out. (laughs) Uh, Look, David, you were talking earlier about the the ending and and how good the ending is. Um, I, I wish sincerely that they they didn't chat change this whole uh you know that bond throws him this can of oil and then that's all we ever see of him i don't need to hear that they caught up with him and put two bullets right. in his head right um, that's exactly the whole yeah. thing for me kills it right um this is this is what's clever he lets him go and says yeah there you go have that and that's what that we, we don't need to know anything more than that. It should be left to our imagination, um, mm. which is why I find the whole the, this whole tacked on um, thing in Russia um, or older shot or wherever it is uh, to be. <laughs> yeah, to, you guys love it when part of your country can kind of a, yeah pass from Russia. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just wish that they they just wish that they left this shot as as our last moment of um of being with green that should have been the end of the film speaking of last roll credits credits here roll credits here the last moment of ford motor company in a james bond film (laughs) but i do appreciate Um, the scene in the car here with bond mm. and camille and her ability to walk away but i do agree Mm. with maybe then just flip them like have them do like the separation and then have Bond go and deal with Green after. Because I do like the idea of leaving it on that note of like, here you go and now you're going to die because you pulled water away from everybody else. And I kind of wish that like thinking of the end of Spectre, if they did something along those lines too, instead of just like imprisoning him, having something where you can sort of get the villain and kill the villain in the way in which the villain hurt other people. Like there's that symbolism and yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent, and but I do I, I agree that this this is an important scene to have as well. Um, I I just like this little moment, and then her walking away. You, like you said earlier, Lisa, this is the end of her story, and mm-hmm. she you know she doesn't need to be in it anymore. They don't need to, you know. It, it's one of the most um, kind of resolved relationships that he has. Most of the time you end on Bond in bed with one of the, the girls and by the next movie, she's just vanished. Yeah. Where this, you, well, get, a, you get a real sense of, of, of completion to her, to her arc. And then she just moves on. Yeah. By the way, I stand corrected. This is apparently the last scene with Ford Motor Company and a Bond. <laughs> <laughs> a relationship that goes back, actually I did from Russia with love, but in terms of an actual relationship, Goldfinger, so... 
Mm. It would have been a bit awkward, though. I agree with your ordering, Lisa. I think it would have just been a bit awkward if Green had been in the back of the car during that exchange. Mm. That is true, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just looking on like mm. mom and dad are fighting. Right. <laughs> right. So uh, you guys are much more in the know than me on these things. Um, obviously, there was an original ending to this film, which was Bond going mm. and yes. killing Mr. White and Guy Haynes. Was that no, supposed was- to come after this sequence? It was Mr. No, White kills was, Guy Haynes, but yeah. Mr. White kills Guy Haynes. Oh right! Oh okay. So this is an entirely separate. This this is an alternative um, ending. ending. Yeah. Right. So, okay. And so Stania, sh- what's her name? Stania Katic. I can't remember how you pronounce her name, but right. she was up for the role she, of Strawberry Fields as well. Yeah. Mm. Once again, Canada Field. being represented as being crappy. In the intelligence agency, you got this, you got the admiral, and like the world is not enough. Like, apparently, we right. stuck. <laughs> okay. This is actually sort of taken a little bit uh, from 007 in New York. Yes, um, yes. The, 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 the plot behind that is that Bond has to go to New York and tell um, a, a British agent that her boyfriend is actually the source of uh, like a leak um i believe so this is very very similar sort of in in, in terms of that so it's slightly fleming-esque um i think the acting in this scene is pretty damn good to be honest with you i think everybody it is. does it like when when she when she decides to just get up and go like when he says you can you can go now the, the look on the look on her face is just it's so good she's like all right thanks bye um she's a good actor his, and, yeah, and his and his he doesn't really get any lines. He just kind of it's everything is on his his facial expression. Um, Quivering. So lip. I, I think it's I think it's played exceptionally well. Uh, I don't know. I I feel like if, if some random person came into my flat and was like, "Your boyfriend of however many months is actually a spy," I feel I would push back a little bit on on some of that rather yeah, than maybe just she's just looking for, maybe she was looking for an out. I mean, she is in a Russian. <laughs> Yeah, the apartment at this and, point. And she's yeah. a spy, so she might even recognize him. So I, I yeah. genuinely, I genuinely hate this bit of dialogue. Like, whenever you have, like, basically, filmmaking is show don't tell, and mm. everything is wrapped up neatly in this little bow by M here. And well, I, I, uh, I M's, really M's in like, Russia, you know, to pick up an agent. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, <laughs> well, also, I'll take it a step further. This is supposed to be kind of melancholy and quiet, and Bond drops the uh, the necklace and he has moved on. It's like he's supposed to be walking off quietly, and then boom, the James Bond theme. Here's <laughs> your gun like... barrel, everyone. <laughs> it's about as it's about as jarring as it is for um, On a Majesty's Secret Service. Um, yeah, you know where they when you get the Bond theme coming in on on that ending, and you're like, oh my god. Um, but I, yes, I, except I, for for one thing though. Honor Majesty's Secret Service is a much better movie. <laughs> yep. So I can um, forgive that. But the thing here is, you know, this whole exchange, it's like like James says, why is she here? Um, you know, he's like, it's just exposition. And then we've got, yes, we've got the ne- the necklace thrown down, but we'll also... In the snow, but quiet, we'll also, fading to black. Also mm-hmm. reference Vespa for the next four films. With the theme as well, yeah. Boom! <laughs> Loud music. Fast gun barrel. <laughs> yeah, not a fan. 
I know, yeah. I know it's really pedantic and fanboy to like quibble about such things as the gun barrel sequence when it's like a 20 second bit of every film, but it does look especially bad here. It's poorly executed. It doesn't work here. I think it would work mm. at the beginning. Yes, mm. much better. Oh, oh, Strawberry Fields in the credits. I yeah. I remember being so dumbfounded by that when sort of like, you know, everyone's grabbing their coats at the cinema and you're all going out and then looking at the credits and be like, oh, I... Oh, huh. Well, that's a that's a thing that should have been in the film, probably. It's a really what's weird. That? And what's the deal with the texture and the credits as well? I've never oh, got it. I don't like it. Yeah. No, no, and oh god, just it's not a, it's it's not a, a, an end sequence that kind of makes you feel elated. You know, the moment when when Bond's stepping on the steps of um, that uh, villa in. Uh, Como in, in Casino Royale, and he says, "You know, he says the line. You just you come out of that cinema just going, yeah, yeah, Bond's mm-hmm. back. This is mm. great. This is such a good well, ending, and this just leaves you kind of flat and you know mm, miserable." Well, <laughs> since we're at the end of the movie, I uh, punched up a few bits of research. So when the movie was being filmed, Daniel Craig said. The move, this movie had to be a direct sequel to Casino Royale. Quote, we set up something in motion, we set something in motion in the last one we need to keep in touch with in this one. That's from a USA Today story. Hmm. But in 2011, he said that it was, the, this movie was never intended to be as much of a direct sequel. Wait, hmm. what? It was, quote, it was never meant to be as much of a sequel as it was, but it ended up being a sequel. Starting Thanks to all the construction the crews. Finished. <laughs> like, Sorry. excuse me? Like, now, of course, only pedantic people like me, like, keep track of what people say once and what they say again and how it changes. But that's... Uh, well, <laughs> I, 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 my, my, my enduring memory of all the press junkets for this film was Craig saying, I think we've captured something really special, this one. <laughs> that was his kind of like stock response to anybody that asked him. Well, mm-hmm. and, and here's the broader importance I give to this film. I think because of this film, um, there was never, ever going to be an attempt to do a Bond film two years after the last one. Because, again, Sony pressured them to like, we talked about this before, um, you know, come in like a year and a half later and then they moved it back to two years. And, um, you know, this was a, tr- you know, this was a somewhat of a troubled production. So in 2012, Barbara Broccoli gave an interview to the Los Angeles times. And she said, quote, sometimes there are external pressures from a studio who want you to make it in a certain time frame for their own benefit. And sometimes huh. we've given in to that. But hmm. following what we hope will be a tremendous success with Skyfall, we have to try to keep the deadlines within our own time limits and not cave right. into external pressures. Hmm. So I think because of this movie, there will never, ever be you know, a two-year gap between Bond films. It's always going to be larger, at least as long as hmm. the current Bond hmm. leadership true. is in place. One, one thing I will say in terms of, um, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. You know, there are always, always pressures to try to um, 
bring these these things out sooner by the studios. But um, in terms of narrative, uh, this really didn't need to be a, a, a direct sequel. I, I agree that there is there's some emotional resonance that kind of carries over. But when Craig is on the, the steps of those the, of the villa and he says, "Name's Bond, James Bond," at that point, really, you're ready for him to just start being Bond and to 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 take on these new kind of adventures in the kind of way that we've seen him take on in the past. We it, we have to wait until the end of Skyfall um, before we get a right, you know, a, a classic M's office. Um, you know, with money, penny, and a queue, and you know all of that, all of that stuff that, that could have been set up immediately in two thousand and eight. We have to wait until the end of two thousand and twelve for, and it's sort of it's sort of a, a long time to kind technically of technically like seven hours into his film series. <laughs> and, God, and God knows how many years, because you know it's like there could you know it's like. It was a four-year gap between Quantum and Skyfall, but in terms of the amount of narrative time, it could be much longer. You well, know, I think he goes, just, he Bill, goes from being a rookie agent. Right. Yeah, yeah, he goes. Yeah, exactly. He's like in in Casino Royale. He's like, it's too early to promote you. By Skyfall, it's like, oh, he's washed up. It's okay. Hmm. You can step down. No one will think worse of you if you do that. It's like, what? what did we miss a whole gauntlet of? kind of like you know were there a whole range of missions that we didn't see that's kind of what i feel like ba- well basically yes it has to be and and also the with the 21st century suddenly bond loses or doesn't have his mojo is suddenly a thing and it begins with you know die another day because he gets captured and gets tortured and purvis or way and i forget which one said the story of die another day is how he becomes james bond again so it's like, so he hmm. lost his mojo and he became James Bond again. So then with uh, Casino, it's like we're starting over. He's not really James Bond yet, but supposedly at the end of Casino, when the James Bond theme finally plays, uh-huh. it's like he is fully formed. But then we go to Quantum, yep. quote, literally two hours later, according to Michael G. Wilson. Um, like, well, no, he's not quite fully formed yet. He's kind of still has issues and we have to. And he goes rogue. Yeah. Hmm. And then at the start of Skyfall, well, he's fully formed, but he gets shot by Money Penny, and now he's not James Bond anymore. And he's pouting and he's mad and he's got to become James Bond again. So I was like, oh, and I like pointed this out in a post and some guy was like, he, he's a big Daniel Craig fan. I could tell, well, you're wrong. You're wrong. It's like, well, tell me how I'm wrong. And it's just, <laughs> it was just basically in denial. It's like, all right. Bond fans like, in denial? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I finally replied, well, denial is not just a river in Egypt. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I, do, I, I do hate to... I, I, I feel like I've brought 007 Legends, the video game, up inordinately <laughs> on this podcast, but, but that, vi- that video game does kind of um, propose the idea that in between yes. Quantum of Solace and Skyfall, Craig's Bond experienced all of the things that the other Bond experienced. So you have, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, you have Daniel Craig with Diana Rigg, and they get married and all that kind of stuff. Moonraker, um, oh, the Goldfinger, God, I, what have you. Um, obviously, like Skyfall... Dis- <laughs> 
uh, Spectre rather disproves all of that stuff, but at least at that time... So did the sales figures for 007 Legends. (laughs) (laughs) But assuming um, that, you know, that, you know, that narrative choice was probably a conversation that's, you know, someone at Eon had at some point and approved. It it must have been how they were thinking at that time. David Wilson. (laughs) Well, and and also, in 1995, there was the James Bond convention in New York City. I was there, and Michael G. Wilson was talking. He said, it's not a series. It's a series of series. Now, this is the first time I ever heard that, and it's coming from the producer of the movie. Um, And so it's like, well, so I guess then... You know, the the Brosnan films don't carry over from Connery and Moore and Lazenby, but, you know, so uh, it's like... And, all, yet they, and yet they do. And yet they I always, do I because of things it. like the homages and stuff. I always mm. think of it like uh, like a kind of a parallel universe, you know, where there, there's sort of similarities and crossovers, but, like, it's, if they're each, right. each... Each Bond is its distinct universe... Um, so it kind of like there is there is some things are different and some things are the same in each except, version. Except yeah. though, with you know Roger Moore, you've got the same M, you got the same money penny, you got the same Q, and well, then and then with Timothy Dalton, well, you got still have the same M, and you still have the same Q, and then with Brosnan, well, you still have the same Q. So it's like that's and M carries over into the uh, Craig era. Yeah. One of the one of the things I find quite interesting is that you know when when uh, we see Q um, for the final time in uh, the world is not enough and he's sort of depart he's retiring and saying I've tried to teach you all this stuff over the years and goodbye it's like well they were comparable ages when they when they, <laughs> when, they, when, they when they were having these conversations and like he's just like I'm retiring now and I'm super old <laughs> um, but you keep going. Um, because you're still mm. somehow weirdly 40. Mm. It's a floating timeline. It's like none of it makes sense on a linear basis, but if you just, yeah. Take as the first five Bonds have their sort of timeline and they all experience the same things as each other, but it, it, it's floating. It's um, I, And I suppose these sort of continuity quibbles only really come up in like a Craig era where he suddenly has the DB5 from Gold, <laughs> you know, from Goldfinger yeah. in yeah. Skyfall and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, it was easy to kind of that, dismiss these things in the previous timeline. Well, and you can explain away some of that to the degree of like, well, because I mean, I think it was like one of the novel, one of the continuation novels essentially said that DB5 was Bond's personal car. He like bought it at auction when MI6 was done with it. Mm. Um, oh, God. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. Like, I, I can't even. But, um... <laughs> but anyway, so going back, going back to Quantum, um, <laughs> how, how has your, each of your opinions changed on it over the last 12 years? Well, I'll, let me go first because okay, at one point, I you know I I kind of went at it hard, and part of the reason I went at it hard was they sold continuity. It's like prior to this, I didn't really care that much about continuity in James Bond films, but they were saying continuity made this special. This was like direct sequel and all that stuff, and then they couldn't be bothered to like do elementary things. So it's like so these are kinds of issues I'd like overlook in other films, but because they made it an issue, like I'm supposed to, that implies I'm supposed to take it seriously. And when I do, then I hear complaints and then I kind of let 
was tempted to let off, let up on it because, well, like maybe I took it too hard. Maybe I'm like being too pedantic about it. But then in 2016, I saw the Jason Bourne film, you know, the one that was titled Jason Bourne. And you had Matt Damon and uh, Paul Greengrass getting reunited. And like about as, as the movie was getting into its uh, climax, I'm thinking, yeah, this is like a pretty well-made movie, but at the same time, it's kind of depressing because there's like no one in this movie that's really very likable. And then suddenly it dawned on me, yes, this is how I felt the first time I saw Quantum of Solace. <laughs> yes. So yes, it is, you know, again, how this film was deeply influenced by the Bourne films. And mm-hmm. so I decided, you know what, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to let up on it anymore. It's like, you know, it's like, um, and it's like, you know, if you like it, that's great, but you know, it's like, but don't tell me there aren't flaws in the film because mm-hmm. there are. And anyway, that's how I feel. I would uh, say that my thoughts, feelings, and opinions on it, I don't think I've shifted in terms of my feeling or my sentiment. You know, I'm somebody who um, likes certain elements and and finds others that are problematic. I think that through our screening, um, my thinking about Camille and some things uh, and some work that I will be doing on this film has definitely progressed. So this was a very productive, personally and professionally, uh, session that we had. And then as we're talking about um, the influence of the Jason Bourne films and the fact that this film also uh, left space or came out a little bit later or gave up its position to the Marvel films, I really feel as though there's something to be said here about the ongoing influence of Marvel over Jason Bourne on the last two Bond films and particularly Spectre with this idea that Marvel creates this cinematic universe and these films are very strongly interconnected and and, and woven together and that's something that's planned from, from the outset. It's conceptualized into their system whereas um, I feel as though as the Bond films sort of start moving on and by the time we get to Spectre and maybe the reason why I didn't buy into Spectre was I feel as though that type of connection was done after the fact on the back end looking back rather than um, conceptualized from the starting point. So I do feel as though you see the influence of the Bourne films a lot on uh, uh, Quantum of Solace and then you see it sort of just shifting direction or its focus uh, to starting to see the influence of Marvel a little bit later um, on. So it's an interesting, for me, it's just, it's an interesting film in terms of like where it's set and there's different elements that are, that are there. Um, but there's also a lot of problematic elements too. So for me, it's a mixed bag. It always was, but now I have a little bit more thinking to do of, um, just some of the significance of the things that we've talked about. And Lisa, I agree with pretty much everything you just said, but the thing about Marvel, why it works with Marvel and the films that's implicit in the original source material. Mm-hmm. The thing that yeah. Stan Lee did, I mean, like there were artists like Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko who did a lot of the heavy lifting creatively. But what Stan did was come up with this idea of making it this interconnected thing. I mean, that was implicit in the original source material. I grew up with those comic books yeah. in the 60s. And so basically Marvel kind of adjusted that to its films Whereupon with Bond novels, even when Fleming was writing them, it's like there's continuity gaps and things. I mean, it was it, continuity clearly wasn't that important to Fleming. I mean, there were like, he would like drop little references here and there, but it, it was not 
a big deal in the original source material. It wasn't a big deal in the original films. And now they're like kind of adding it on to the films now. Mm-hmm. Well, to that point, you just have to look at like Casino Royale to Live and Let Die. Like, yeah, Vespa's mentioned and the events of that are mentioned, but Live and Let Die is a very separate mission and a very separate book to Casino Royale. Like, Fleming didn't really feel like he needed to carry on the themes and resolve that in any way. And um, it's interesting that my, my opinions on Quantum of Solace haven't really changed as a result of this viewing. It's the first viewing I've had in quite some time, but I, I think it's aged quite poorly. I think it feels, maybe it's the length or maybe it's the lack of uh, identity it has as a, a thing of its own, but um, I don't think, it feels more like almost almost like a DVD bonus feature, like it's Casino Royale 1.5. <laughs> it's like the, and, and it's such a shame that it that it is that, because I think there's a lot of potential for good stuff, but I think Mark Forster is a really poor director probably the worst mm-hmm. director that a bond film has ever um, um, well at, at least that was edited into something comprehensible like i i, I think the editing and the direction are, <laughs> well, are, are, and, and, are really at fault here um which I just about- i it means that i just i can't enjoy this it's just like so much of it and i don't know how much of it was in when this was released in 2008 i had just gone to university i just started film school and learning about editing techniques and film practices and all those kinds of things and this just breaks so many of those things for the sake mm-hmm. of pretension I think I don't know why we need to have that shot of a a lady at the bar looking over at Daniel Craig as he's walking up a flight of stairs to um, meet Dominic Green um, at the party. There are just so many baffling lingering, choices in here. Lingering shots of tomatoes or cherries being broken. Uh, <laughs> well, and, and, and all those, 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 cherry, those cherry, those jam jars of cherries that were one of the most indelible images of this film for whatever reason, it's just stuck in my head. That old lady with the cherries. It's like, yeah. also all those villagers sitting there. I mean, no. I mean, the photography is great. They look like they're really suffering, and it's and and everything. But like, guys, there's water back there. I just, it's just, it's. Um, and also, I'll, I also want to give props to David Arnold. It's, it's a good score. It's a very good score. Oh, yes, I quite agree. Um, yeah. It's, um, you know, so there are things I enjoy about the film, despite the criticism I make of, of it. I, one of my biggest criticisms is the way they market it. They, like, played up that whole direct sequel thing, and you couldn't be bothered to, like, do the most elementary things to make that possible. And I guess part of it was probably, like, forced to say well i'm it's not my film you know the previous one so it's like i'm gonna make the movie i want and he was obsessed with those four element things and like mm-hmm. good grief anyway yeah I'm the sorry. elements he should have been concerned were story character <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 I'll, I'll quickly say how my feelings on it have, um, have altered uh you know in 2008 when this came out uh, a group of uh, bond uh, my fans and friends of mine from the forums got together to to, to see this in the cinema, um, and we were we were very excited to see it. Uh, to say that we were kind of deflated at the end of watching it is, is something of an understatement. Um, I, I still remember that mood of going into that pub and just everyone just sitting there going, ah. um, <laughs> and so so my initial reaction to it wasn't wasn't 
a good one. Um, and over time, it, you know, it didn't really kind of increase or get better. But then I got divorced in uh, 2016 and um, I watched it then. And I, I think it kind of really sat really well with my mood and my um, and where I was at kind of mentally at that time. And I remember thinking, this is really good. Why did I, why did I not uh, see how good a film this, this, well, I really relate to, to, to Craig's, Craig's Bond in this film. Um, but I think that that was very much about where I was at, at that point in my life. And I haven't probably watched it since then. Um, so seeing it today, um, the things, the things that were, were, were problematic for me are, remain problematic, which is, um, you know, ter- terrible editing, uh, a complete lack of sense of geography to the film, or, or you know, um, A equal A to B to C. It just there just doesn't seem to be that kind of like very simple kind of uh, understanding of, 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 of uh, narrative, and particularly the tacked-on ending still really grates on me. Um, because I feel like you shouldn't ever sort of tie things up in that way. Uh, it does look a bit more dated than even some of the other films that we've <laughs> we've watched. Um, but overall, I um, I didn't hate it. I kind of I kind of agree with with Calvin. It sort of feels like a, a, a series of webisodes between. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, um, after the premiere, we got that 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 pub that kind of after party chat I mentioned in the recording, I sat opposite, you know, an esteemed uh, long-term Bond book author and magazine writer. And uh, he goes, James, what do you think of it then? And I was like, comic strip movie helmed by art director. <laughs> it was kind of like my one line. And Brilliant. That, that I just kind of, like, after two drinks, that came out of my mouth. And yeah. um, that's, I've stuck with it to, mm. over 12 years. Is that kind of like my assessment of it? I think that's it's like they had yeah. a series of vignettes and things they wanted to do and they brought an art house style to it. And I, those two things I don't think are compatible mm. with the I odd think- exception of like the fight in the op at Tosca. I think that I was, works. I was saying to my fiance this morning talking about this, this film and I said that, you know, the, the problem is you've got an art house director uh, like Forster who, you know, is good with character. He's done Kite Runner. It was, you know, like he's he's very artistic, but then you but then you've got second unit director um, from Dan Bradley, direction from Dan Bradley, and uh, the two just don't mesh together at all. So you've got this kind of art house sensibility of of these kind of languid shots of um, you know people standing around empty wells and you know dissolves and all this kind of stuff, but then you've got this frenetic kind of uh, you know, confusing uh, action sequences that kind of don't really make any sense. So, putting those two things together, they didn't really gel cohesively. Well, I just just to add to that. So, like in that scene early in the film, right after the titles, where a uh, little pole is supposed to deflect the bullet from Dame Judy, it's like if you can't tell that watching in the theater. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, with without aid of a like a really high definition, you know, home video release, you're not succeeding. I mean, it's like the, <laughs> the audience should be able to tell at least at some level that 
she wasn't shot. And like for the longest time, I thought she got shot. She like mm. winces and falls back as if she got shot. Mm. I think there's a lot of confusion in terms of us watching, trying to figure out what's going on, not just narratively, but visually uh, and spatially in terms of the action. And so I, as much as we want to talk about that there's gaps in the actual narrative, I think that there's gaps in terms of the visual landscape of this film. And I mean, action films are supposed to be like, they're, they're these body based films and action films should be fairly self-evident in the action that, that that's happening. You should be able to even have it on mute and be able to understand what's going on in the film. And many times, as you brought up, Mm. we're not really sure, like, did she get shot? Did she not get shot? Where is Bond? You know, what is happening? There was just a lot of confusion uh, at least that I felt. And even now I'm still not fully sure what happened in some of the action sequences. And that's a shame because if you're going to put this much money into it and have as many trained professionals um, with strong backgrounds in action filmmaking, it has to be legible for us, the viewer. Um, and I think that this took us into a realm that was just a little bit too much. And then you can see them sort of shift the focus and sort of scale some of that editing back um, for Skyfall, which I feel is just, uh, the action is a lot more legible and I understand what's going on in all of the all of the sequences. I quite agree. And I would extend that even to some of just the more standard dialogue sequences. There's that bit when we first go to the new MI6 headquarters and it's like Bond, Tanner and M walking down a flight of stairs and they're walking down the flight of stairs, they're talking. The next shot is sort of them in a reflection in a window and so your attention is drawn there, but there are other people moving around in the foreground. So your attention is also on them. And then you see M Bond and um, Tanner are eventually coming out of the other end of the of the shot. So you you focus all over the place, and then that guy with the glasses comes out of nowhere and tries right. to direct M into one room. And then Tanner says, "Not in the mood." And then it, the right. other guy opens a door, and she goes in. So I assume she is in the mood. It's it's a really confusing <laughs> sort of sequence of shots and character comprehensions. I I don't really know what's this, going on for the vast this, majority of this film. There's, there's a micro example of that, and I know, I, I watched I noticed it the first time because we had the sound off at the end when Madrano is getting the bad news given to him by Green about how he's been swindled. Mm. There's a second where it cuts to an exterior shot through the window of them talking and then back again. It's like, for what reason? Mm-hmm. It just, mm. it just, yeah, just disorientates you from the yeah. scene. I don't mm. see the point. Of it. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of unnecessary stuff in there that doesn't move the narrative or help you understand what's happening. You know, the criticism that Campbell got for Casino Royale from like cinematographers and directors. And if you, you know, like in the trade press was like for the film, the film's all excellent. It's top quality, but he kind of got a bit of a ding for the dialogue sequences being blocked pretty down the middle standard compositions. But but you can follow (laughs) it and, and you can actually invest in what they're saying. And the, you know, the, the, the little details versus just being disorientated between all the friggin' shots changing on you all well, the time. Well, that's exactly it. It's, it's about communicating to the audience what is important in those shots. And yeah, if the composition is exactly the same for the characters, my brain doesn't need to process that they're in a different place. Why are they right. in a different place? Well, it's just like, oh yeah, whatever is coming out of them is the point of this shot. Whereas well, Quantum of Solace just fails in that yeah, regard. 
I, I was going to say, like, okay, in terms of old-time Hollywood directors, John Ford and Howard Hawks weren't known for, like, really fancy camera work. But, like, mm. they could tell emotional stories. Mm. And that's the point of making a movie. And it's like, yes, technology ad- advances from, you know, the days of Ford and Hawks. And you should take advantage of it when you can. But, like, you still have to have a story. And it's like, I, I keep going back to this movie. It's like, they, you know, they didn't work hard enough on the story. I know there was a writer's strike, but they also wasted a lot of the time they had before the strike, where it's like Haggis wrote up this story about Vaughn looking for Vesper's kid. And it's like, was that ever going to get approved? As it turned out, no. So hmm. oh, we have to start from scratch and all this stuff. It's like, yeah, I mean, clearly that writer's strike had an effect on the film. I would not argue otherwise, but like they didn't make the best time of the of the time they had. Mm-hmm. My opinion. I also, to add to that, I mean, I, I also have a little bit of a beef with just self-indulgent filmmaking. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe I'm just like, I'm a very action-oriented, I mean, I study action films for a living for a reason. I don't really like all that extra stuff that's thrown in. And maybe this is going to get me a lot of flack for people who are film lovers, but it's the reason why I despise Citizen Kane because I watched mm. that movie and I refuse to teach that movie if I ever teach classical Hollywood um, because it's just, it's self-indulgent and it has kind of a storyline, but even that loses me. And I just find it, it grates on me. And I think that when I, when, when you have something like an action film, that's supposed to be just, it, it's supposed to be just more clear cut. I found that this film was just self-indulgent with extra thoughts, extra takes, extra this, extra that, that just weighs things down. It's, it, it makes it a lot heavier. So if there's lack of clarity and then we're weighing down that lack of clarity with excess, I feel as though then maybe some of the narrative goals if, or, or maybe it contributes to some of the narrative, the lack of clarity in the narrative is because visually and spatially, everything's just really cloudy. Like it's just, there's just a lot of stuff in this film. Mm, David, we haven't heard from you yet, and you nominated this film after I nominated this film. David, let's hear from you. (laughs) Yeah, well, um, when I I first saw the film, I I was massively disappointed because I think after Casino Royale, all our expectations were high for a a really, really – a uh, good follow-up to that, and uh, you know, it, it was going to be two years, and so uh, I was I was keyed up to to um, really enjoy it and, and and have something similar to Casino, which uh, was going to be a fantastic movie, and it, it just wasn't that. It was a completely different pace of film, um, nothing like Casino Royale at all. So yeah, I, I was disappointed, and I, I didn't like it for years and and i'm not exactly sure when when that changed and um you know i i I remember even at one point i thought well perhaps if i if i watch casino royale and quantum of solace back to back and it will it will it, it will make more sense but that actually made it worse because the pace is so different it, it just kind of jars so um and at some point, a couple of times, uh, I, I caught the end of it on, on television, and it, exactly the same point. It was the point that James mentioned earlier on in the when we were watching, and uh, I just watched, and I thought, and I, I just watched for half an hour or whatever it is, and thought, actually, 
I, I really like this and I need to go back and watch the whole film, which uh, I did. And uh, from that point on, I've always enjoyed it. And uh, um, there's there's no way that I uh, I can justify it. It's a purely, you know, I, I enjoy it and, and uh, I don't know why I enjoy it. I just do. And I recognize it has a lot of faults, but uh, there you are. I, I, I rate it. And I'd much rather watch this than any of the Pierce Brosnan films, for instance, or Skyfall. Wow. No, I, I quite agree with you on that, David. Like, I, I sort of come against that with Moonraker quite a bit, where people sort of like try to, um, yeah, well, why do you really like? And it's like, yeah, in spite of its faults, like I do have a great deal of affection for it. And um, I mean, we've already covered like how you know Bond films each have their own fans, and that's fine. And it's um, yeah, it's all good. All right, so we can only do four nominations on Twitter. Because, you know, that's the rules. So, David, as you won this round, uh-huh. uh, do you mind sitting this, this, this okay, round Okay, yep, no problem. If that's, if that's cool. We're just making these rules up as we go, <laughs> by the way, because we've got another <laughs> yeah, If this we, continues, we, we have another 16. We have another, like, uh, 21 to go or something like that. So. Um, all right. Calvin, you can go first. Okay. I actually... I'm going to go for uh, the man with the golden gun. Actually, uh, yes. I think we'd have an awful lot to discuss uh, <laughs> with it. Uh, yeah, yeah. There we go. All right, um, Lisa. I was gonna sing it for your eyes only. <laughs> I am not a singer and I think that was kind of on tune so I think for that okay for, following that I think uh, Bill and Ben should sing theirs as well alright <laughs> oh god Bill uh, I'm not going to sing mine um, uh. well, we, we've, had, we've had two Roger Moore nominations so I'm going to change it up and go with a Connery now I'm trying to decide mm-hmm. I'm tempted to be a total jerk and say Goldfinger but I will say <laughs> But I saw Goldfinger twice last year, including one time I live-tweeted it. Uh, I will say um, you only live twice. Okay. Um, I will just say that uh, a couple of these uh, nominations would would, would have been my picks anyway. I I have uh, a pick, uh, um, for Your Eyes Only last time. So I'm very happy that uh, Felicia for picking that one. Um, uh, I, I'm gonna go with, believe it or not, the batshit crazy octopus. Uh, right. I love that movie. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we got three Rogers and a Connery. So I think this is going to be a four way race on the boat. Mm. They've I always will, been pretty close. So I will do a, uh, I will also do a drinking game for, um, for Quantum of Solace. Uh, All right. if, anyone's, if anyone's interested, my, my usual uh, accompaniment of the drinking game for each of our movies. This one is just going to be simple. Just get drunk. <laughs> Way ahead of you. I was going to say, what, a sip for every confusing edit? Oh, man. You'd be drunk <laughs> action sequences. You're just like gulping it down. Yeah, every time you don't know what's going on. You, you might as well just get an IV at that point. <laughs> 
All right. On that note, I think that wraps it up. This is a quick one. So thank you very much, Bill, Ben, David, Lisa, Calvin. And um, we'll probably be seeing Roger next week, I think, <laughs> one way or another. Goodbye for now. Thank Bye. you. Talk soon. Bye. He's got a gun, great big man tits. He's got jug ears and tiny trunks. Dame Judy Dench is furious with him. He's gone completely out to lunch. The quantum of the solace. quantum of solace. landscapes and what the landscape gives us and what it gives a, gives to, to Bond and the character is, is really, really good because in a sense, you know, we're shooting in a desert and that's sort of a reflection of Bond's character in itself because the desert always brings in, uh, brings along a certain loneliness and a certain solitude and a sort of, so that solitude and loneliness sort of reflects who Bond is.